You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 424. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at the socially distant APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 7th of May, 2020. Today's episode, Boeing backs out of its deal with Embraer. British Airways may not return to Gatwick after the coronavirus pandemic passes. More news, your feedback, and in today's Plain Tales, the Ian Palmer interviews part one. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 424 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning, Emmy award-winning, that is, TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier based in Atlanta, Georgia, which I like to call Acme Airlines. I'm joined today by my awesome co-hosts. First... From her lakeside home in the Carolinas, doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, and IPA connoisseur, Dr. Steph. There you go, saving the best for last with the IPA connoisseur. I'll have one of those later on in the show. I uh, have a feeling I might need it. Not yeah, sure what gives sure me that will. sense, but <laughs> it is so great to see you again today. So looking forward to a great show. Awesome. And also joining us from across the pond, from a studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Retard. Ah, there it is. (laughs) I'll have to stretch it out next time. (laughs) Please do. Great to be back on the show, your favorite retard. Ah, you're our favorite pilot. And also, another favorite pilot from the, the northwest Atlanta suburbs, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pleasure boat, skipper, yacht commander, <laughs> or whatever, underwater photographer and captain, oh, yacht captain, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Well, I've done nothing but look forward to this podcast since our last show. It's been a uh, uneventful week. Well, good. Well, we hope that this show is eventful in a good way. So, of course. with that, let's go ahead and start off with the news. Stand by for news.
All right. The first item in our news folder is the headline, Boeing Embraer deal collapses. This is from Forbes.com. Boeing BA, I guess that's their stock symbol, has abandoned a deal to buy 80% of Embraer's commercial aircraft business for $4.2 billion, stating Saturday morning that they, they just ran out of money. No, uh, stating Saturday morning that the Brazilian company didn't satisfy necessary conditions of the agreement. Embraer said Boeing was making false claims to back out of the transaction and that it would pursue all remedies. The deal was born out of the weakening prospects for smaller plane makers amid the increasing dominance of Boeing and Airbus and the U.S. plane makers' desire to widen its lineup and add engineering resources. Its rationale was undercut by a sudden collapse of the aerospace industry amid the coronavirus pandemic. Coronavirus pandemic. Boeing is under pressure to raise cash and slash production with demand for new planes disappearing. And the agreed-upon price of $4.2 billion was looking increasingly rich, with Embraer's market value tumbling roughly 75% to $1.1 billion. $4 billion means much more to Boeing than it did back then, says Richard Abualafia. I know how to pronounce his name because I've heard him on that great aviation podcast called uh, Aviation Geeks. And airplane geeks. Airplane geeks. That's the one I mean, not aviation geeks. <laughs> Close enough. Ding. Uh, I know that name because he's been a guest uh, several times on that uh, the number one aviation podcast in the world, Airplane Geeks podcast. And uh, anyway, uh, he said, "Yeah, the four billion means much more to Boeing than it did back then." He's an aerospace analyst with the Teal Group. Boeing will le- need at least. $30 billion in external funding in 2020, according to Moody's Double the Ratings Agency's pre-coronavirus expectations. Boeing already funded about half of that need with a $13.8 billion term loan draw, draw in February and is weighing whether to apply for aid from the federal government. Okay, so bottom line, I can continue to read this uh, very financially oriented kind of article, but we're aviation people and we want to talk about uh, the bottom line here. And uh, basically, uh, yeah, things have uh, taken a turn for the worse in the uh, aviation industry and uh, Boeing just flat out does not have the cash <laughs> to continue this deal. So um not sure. But it sounds like they're trying to back out of it a bit sideways, Jeff, mm-hmm. uh, rather than just admitting it and saying that they just can't afford it. Sounds like they're trying to find a legal way to get out of it without any uh, penalties. Does sound like that, yes. Well, do you blame they them? They didn't no. no, no, either. don't blame them. But I just think it's a little unfair. The, greed, uh, the deal's agreed. So, you know. Steph? They didn't satisfy necessary conditions of the agreement, though. Whatever that I can't might tell be. you how many times I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Neville's just uh, in the uh, chat room saying how sad it is that uh, Boeing won't be able to get a Brazilian now. Um, well, they, they can join the rest of the world with this amount of And uh, our producer has replied by saying it's a very hairy deal. <laughs> and don't you start talking about that big bush uh, behind me, okay? It's um, a mighty fine rose bush. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that is a very big bush. Oh, man. So, Yeah. Um, I've lost all control already. You know what? I, I have, I have well, to say that Liz is not helping at all. 
<laughs> she's, no, she's supposed yeah, to be she's, looking after it. She's What's that phallic symbol to the left of Nick's head anyways? Uh, it looks like some huge... Corner on the cob. Building. <laughs> yeah. Chicago. Cla- classic Chicago view there. Yeah, if you're wondering what we're what the heck we're talking about, if you're listening to the audio podcast, which most of you are, you should check out every every now and then our video uh, because we have a lot of fun. We have fun. No, I don't want them to see me. I might scare them away. Oh, no. we've already we've already told them what we what we look like in the last episode. Yeah, I'm a oh, that's Heidi right, Klum, that's right. Heidi uh, Klum, you know, look alike, and we've got Jeff Foxworthy, Foxworthy and, and Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep, definitely. That's all you need to know, really. So, yeah, forget about going to the video. Although, if you did go to the video, we'd know that uh, this is like take what three or take four uh, on the At recording least. of the show. Yeah, At something least. like that. Okay. Well, anyway, um, that's enough of this one, I think. Don't you agree? I concur. Yeah, there's not much yeah. more to be said, really, is there? No. Uh, let's see. This one. Uh, this is kind of sad, I think. Um, but we'll hear from somebody who lives in the. Kingdom of United's, I mean United Kingdom, about this. Uh, both British Airways and Virgin Atlantic have uh, announced a s- several um, staff um, furloughs and reductions and redundancies. And they have also said that uh, neither airline um, knows whether or not it's going to continue to fly after this subsides, this pandemic uh, gets better. Um, whether or not they're going to operate from Gatwick, uh, London airport, uh, in the future. Uh, that's the bottom line of both of these articles. Uh, I could read them all, but that would just take up time. And I think I got to the essence of these, um, articles and, uh, Nick, what, how is this going over in the, uh, in, in England? Well, Gatwick, of course, uh, are devastated. You know, a lot of him, a lot of people employed at Gatwick. And uh, if two of the major uh, players in the airport pull out, um, put on top of their uh, current uh, problems, uh, the airport's, you know, not barely moving, uh, it's going to be uh, devastating for them. So, uh, you know, the BA1 was slightly less clear. Uh, they initially leaked a memo from their uh, Gatwick um the chief of Gatwick operations saying we're pulling out and BA denied that, but it definitely looks like they're going to pull out. Uh, Virgin, I think are just looking to contract to a much smaller airline. So they have both announced a pull out of Gatwick uh, and uh, they're going to reduce their uh, numbers by about 3000, which is going to hit the pilot workforce pretty severely. Now, through the back door, I've heard that uh, this is going to be uh, quite a, um, a difficult uh, decision on who goes because the company apparently want to try and um, avoid doing a last in, first out, which is, generally speaking, the industry standard in that, uh, you know, the, the latest person to join the company is the first person to leave if you end up uh, having redundancies. Uh, they want to uh, reduce uh, their pilot workforce in any way they want. Uh, now, I'm, I'm reading between the lines here, so this may not be entirely accurate, but it looks like they're going to just chop the entire 747 fleet, aircraft and pilots, or certainly the vast majority of the pilots, um, 
en masse. So that's pretty sad because obviously there's quite a few senior pilots uh, flying the 747s, uh, and that definitely does not follow the the agreed principle of last in, first out. So that is going to be a very uh, acrimonious problem uh, between the pilots, I think, now and the company. Uh, and, of course, there's very little uh, that the pilots can do. I mean, they're in unions, but uh, being in a union, if the company refuses to negotiate or deal, uh, you, you, it's, you have very few, few um, weapons in your armory. Uh, generally speaking, it's withdrawal of labor, is, uh, and it's a pretty blunt tool. And in this uh, current uh, climate where labor is not required because nobody's flying, that's a pretty useless weapon to have as well. So I, I anticipate um, a lot of difficulty uh, for the pilots to negotiate um, uh, reasonable circumstances for the remo removal of the pilots. Uh, and I see the same sort of thing happening on many other airlines. I think uh, management may well, uh, of many airlines, may well take this opportunity to rewrite contracts, to uh, uh, force um, new conditions of service uh, on their, their employees. Uh, and I, on top of all the worry about losing your job, uh, and the concerns about trying to get a new job if your airline goes under, having your conditions uh, of service uh, changed without uh, proper negotiations uh, is something that I think a great number of pilots are going to face. Well, as they say, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, so. Yeah, I, there are a lot of airlines that are going to do that. And mm -hmm. I, I always assume that the management of uh, my old airline were going to be above this. But mm -hmm. it, it might be the case that, that that's not going to happen. See, the, over here, uh, most of the U.S. airlines, I mean, you would never see something like that happening where they just get rid of a certain air, airplane fleet and then say, yeah, any air, uh, pilot that was on that fleet, you're gone too. I mean, you know, that would just would not fly. And I don't mean to use a pun there, but uh, no, I, I understand that, and uh, that's the the advantage of a uh, having a very strong pilots union. Mm -hmm. uh, but currently, right now, when uh, airlines are hardly flying, withdrawing your labor because you've decided to go right. on strike uh, has very little effect. Yeah, you have to so, have, uh, consider the effect and and the fact that you might be actually shooting yourself in the foot if you. Did something yeah, like exactly right. It it is really difficult times, and I, I hate to pile it on for the the poor uh, uh, aviators amongst us who are commercially uh, employed. Uh, but it, it it's it's going to be a, a very difficult period. And when we emerge from the other side, I don't think necessarily it's going to be the same industry that uh, we used are used to, and certainly not perhaps the same. Uh, way of employing the same rules, the same things that we took for granted. Yeah. Okay. You know, I didn't realize that when I was reading this article about Virgin Atlantic, Nick, the um, the entire um, number of people that work for the airline is like around 10,000. And um, I didn't realize yeah. it was yeah. that small because, I mean, our yeah. pilot group at Acme is like 14,000. Just pilots. No, no, I, I quite understand that. The airline has a much bigger profile than it has in actuality, uh, which I think is tantamount to uh, 
the excellent uh, image that Virgin as a group have managed to uh, produce around the world. Um, but no, the, the airline has only had about 45 aircraft. Uh, and I think it would love to have been a much larger airline and it would have succeeded. But working out of an airport like Heathrow uh, as its main uh, hub, um, where they're at 98% capacity, you just can't expand. So they would love to, I think, to have taken on, um, you know, uh, the world, but uh, they've been restricted by uh, the slot system and uh, their inability to get more slots out of Heathrow. Um, but so that's always held them back. So will, th- will this be a um, bonanza for the low cost carriers moving into Gatwick to uh, take up those slots that are potentially going to be left for, uh, by BA and Virgin? I don't think uh, there were that many slots, uh, slot restrictions uh, out of Gatwick. It wasn't quite as restricted as uh, as Heathrow. Heathrow is much more popular, so people were desperate to get in and out of there. Uh, and I think uh, most of the low-cost carriers had a, a, you know, almost as many as they wanted. I suspect they'll probably be able to use a few more. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, there may be a chance for other long-haul carriers, and I'm looking here at the American carriers that already fly into Gatwick regularly to uh, increase their number of transatlantic flights, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking, obviously, way in the future now. Uh, I say way in the future, two or three years when this is all over and uh, transatlantic travel uh, has uh, you know, returned to uh, more normal numbers. Well, yes, another another impact of the, uh, the Rona pandemic. Um, and let's stay on that same theme. Um, last year we had a wonderful, uh, big APG aviation podcasting community meetup at Oshkosh and at the Whitman regional airport. That was for Adam, uh, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And, uh, the air venture is, uh, takes place uh, every year there. And they reluctantly, because of the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, they've decided to cancel this year's Oshkosh or Air Venture 2020 at Oshkosh. A lot of people are very disappointed by that. But I think that was really, they didn't have a choice. You know, they, there was no other no, way to go. No, I mean, that's such a huge gathering of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like you can create a lot of extra space. Um, it's already taking up, you know so many acres of land there and it's, it's pretty well packed uh, from the campgrounds to where people are parking their aircraft and camping and, you know, just walking through the, um, the airfield itself and all the exhibits and everything. There's, there's no way you can keep people separated enough to keep them safe and healthy. Yeah. All those that exhibitors to, in the, in yeah, the all the, all the exhibitions and, and everything. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it seems like if we were actually planning to go, it's still a little ways away, but it's really only what, two months. Yeah. Two July. And a half months. Yeah. So it's not a lot of time for, uh, I, don't, I don't think we're going to be anywhere near ready for something like that anytime soon. Nope. They did. I think, you know, they did hold on for quite a while before they finally said, yeah, we got to pull the trigger and say, yeah, it's canceled. I think they were hoping for some kind of miraculous recovery and everything would be back to normal and then they would continue to be able to host it. But nope, not this year. Why yeah. Not, the biggest uh, problem uh, is, is the restrictions. You don't know if they're going to be, re- you know, whether they're going to be reduced at all, whether, you know, right, like right now, no more than gathering of t- what, 10 people. Yeah. Groups of 10. So, 
you know, there were several layers of restrictions that they'd have to get through to be able to actually have the event. So, yeah, mm -hmm. that was that was a foregone conclusion, I think. Yep. I believe you're right. Oh, well, well, hopefully uh, 2021, right? That's another. Yes. Um, hopefully we'll, I know that we'll have several of the people listening to the show in uh, presence uh, there next next year. All right, uh, item D. Um, there's a benefit to that, Jeff. Yeah. Might give us enough time to be able to set up and get back there for the 2021. That's a possibility. Anything's I'm hoping possible. we're going to have a lot of options for things yeah. to do in 2021. I think so. I hope so. Uh, item D, a disgruntled BA employee is under investigation for an incident that took place in one of the hangars at Heathrow. A uh, Boeing 777 and a 787 uh, were covered at uh, different times by five tons of fire retardant in an incident that happened on May 3rd. Or I guess, was this the same incident? I thought there were two separate I thought there was incidents. just a, hmm. I thought it was just one incident. But okay, so one incident and it affected two of their airplanes, a 777 and a 787. Um, yeah, the way I understood it, there were two aircraft parked in the hangar. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Well, um, a disgruntled airline staff facing either redundancy or perhaps having to had sign up or signed up for a cheaper contract, in other words, making less money, um, they think is the suspect. However, I think at some point um, – yeah, British Airways said that uh, they're insisting that it was a technical issue to blame and not deliberate sabotage. Um, yeah, so uh, we have some pictures here. Should I try to show them to everyone? Have you got the video? Oh, yes. That's pretty. The video is great. I do not have the video. <laughs> oh, what a shame! Bummer. Oh, okay. Well, let me see if I can find the video then. Yeah, I think it's, I'm sure it's on. Is it in the YouTube. same? Um... I don't think it's in one of these articles. Okay, um... let me do a. I saw it on, Search on Twitter a bunch. Um, let's see. Video. I, while you're looking, I have a question. Yeah. Um, is the fire uh, retardant material always that color? For some reason, I thought it was more like a white foam. This That's looks kind of like dingy. Brown, like mud. Brownish mud. I thought it was some sort of like sewer leak or something at first. <laughs> yeah, pretty disgusting. Like just as I was scrolling through the feed and I saw the video of it, I was like, oh my gosh, what is that? But it's the, the fire retardant. Uh, I don't know. To be truthful, I have no idea. I suspect there are a few different. Guys. Probably so. Probably so. But this is the, the whole whole meal version as opposed to the, the, the bleached out one. Gotcha. Gotcha. So this is probably more healthy. It's better for you. Better. Yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. All the nutrients? Yeah, all the nutrients left in. I think it was just all 931 sending a uh, message to the management, Management, maybe. I don't yeah. know. It could be. But, uh, I mean, it's interesting that the management have come out saying it's not because uh, usually if they can blame somebody else. Yeah, that's what uh, I thought was it, odd. Did you get a message yeah. from Al? Jeff? I did. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear the my phone like yes. ringing off the hook? Okay, I'm ignoring it because I found what I was looking for. I think. Oh, okay. Well, I think he was sending it to you, or he was sending you some other video. Maybe, yeah. maybe best not to open it. <laughs> yeah, he was hoping you were going to put that one on. <laughs> yeah, I'm ignoring. I try. You know, I've learned my lesson. You got to ignore Cap anything that Captain Al sends you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me see here. Uh, that's oh, it's one. definitely sewage. 
<laughs> as they I said. mean, that's what that's what I thought. <laughs> I mean, it, it's odd that it's pouring out of at ground level. If they had a right. real fire in there, you'd want it to like suppress from above or not? Well, yeah, like I don't know. I, I'm assuming because uh, I, I realize that if there's spilt fuel on Maybe the floor. The- on fire, the foam will sit on top. Uh, so perhaps that is. Is that somebody whistling in the background? Not me. No, in the in the video. Wait, in the video. Let me, let me yeah. back this up. Like somebody's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's probably the guy the that ended. To see here. This is the guy that turned on the uh, spigot. Always look on the bright <laughs> side of life. life. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's the I'm video. not sure what's going on in the suggested news down there either, though that's slightly uh, disturbing. Anyway. Yeah, that is um, hmm. Sorry. not good. That's why I was hoping I was hoping just to play the video itself, but yes. uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. There's some video. Have fun with it. If you're listening uh, to the audio podcast, look for the link in the show notes, and then you can uh, you can watch the, the yucky video. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I guess uh, until there's uh, some sort of. Uh, definite news we won't know whether it was uh, a failure or a deliberate attempt but the fact is that stuff is not healthy for airplanes uh, normally it's quite acidic or uh, quite a corrosive effect and uh, you have to wash it off damn quick and uh, a lot of inspections required afterwards to uh, see uh, it's one of the reasons why if we get a jet pipe fire on an aircraft we're so keen to blow it out ourselves uh, before the uh, fire crews pitch up and start squirt, squirting uh, fire retardant down the intake because that stuff will wreck an entire engine. Whereas normally if we can just motor the engine and blow out a jet pipe fire, that that's, does no damage at all. Right. So, uh, yeah, I suspect this, this foam is uh, the same problem. Very toxic. Yeah. Like my humor. Tom says you can aim those cannons, the retardant cannons. Ah. Oh, but wouldn't right, there be okay. like an automated system that would just automatic? Like what What if nobody was in there and the thing went off? I mean. I don't know. Huh. But maybe if this really was um, intentionally set up by someone, they could just point it at the ground and make a big mess and not ah. ruin too, too much. Now, I don't know whether Al is pulling our leg or not, but he says it stinks and he says it's part bovine blood-based which seems seems unusual that he would come up with that, <laughs> make that up. How would he come up with that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's we'll, right. we'll take him at uh, yeah, we'll take him at face value, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. Just this one time, though, Al. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are some other comments here that I really can't repeat. All right. Um, enough of that. Let's move on to this embarrassing incident. Um, over here in the U.S. and I, I guess um, many parts of the world, uh, various groups are doing flybys to support the troops and the first responders, and you know, trying to give people out there positive feelings about the fact that we're hopefully getting close to the end of this, um, you know, what uh, shelter-in-place kind of um, life and uh, trying to return back to normal. Uh, one of those groups uh, was an. Air Force group uh, in New Orleans, I believe, right? I, it, I think so. Mine opens the wrong article when I click on that link. Oh, okay. Uh, no one was hurt after an aircraft part fell off one of two B-52 bombers flying over New Orleans, yep, New Orleans as part of the Air Force Salutes. 
program. U.S. Air Force Captain Christopher Sullivan said an access hatch fell off one of the bombers around 10.30 a.m., landing on private property. Sullivan said someone who discovered the panel notified authorities and the Air Force retrieved the part. Sullivan Sullivan said the missing panel did not affect the airworthiness of the plane and it returned to the base after performing a flyover over Baton Rouge. A safety investigation will be conducted because of the incident. And there are several really pretty pictures of uh, various scenes in at least when they were flying over New Orleans. Uh, The U.S. Air Force and the Louisiana National Guard conducted the special flyover above several medical facilities in the New Orleans area on Friday. It was part of the Air Force Salutes program to thank Louisiana's medical professionals battling the coronavirus disease, which has claimed nearly 2,000 lives in the state and hospitalized hundreds of others. Two B-52 Stratofortress bombers and two F-15 fighter jets left from the air base in Belchese. Around 9.30 in the morning, the pilots were from the Barksdale Air Force Base in Bozier Parish. Bozier, I think. Uh, Sullivan said the Air Force is proud to honor the medical workers in New Orleans, and they were happy that the panel didn't hit one of them in the head. Actually, he didn't say that. I had that. Um, I'm sure they were thinking it, though. Probably so. <laughs> Thanking that God. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Air Force said the panel fell from the plane uh, from a plane that was built in 1960, 61-ish time frame. Well, I'm not surprised bits are falling off it. Yeah, really. I'm, I, I think we're all surprised that the darn airplane's still flying, and it's still <laughs> supposed to fly for another, like, what, 20 or 30 years? I like think a long yeah. time. Mm-hmm. It's just a very expensive airplane to operate, too, because it's very fuel efficient, not... Yeah, not... <laughs> All right. Um, Oh, here's a good one. Well, I don't know. It depends on where it's coming from. I don't think that Harrison Ford would think this is a good one. Um, Yeah. Harrison Ford, uh, he flies out of, well, several Southern California airports. Um, John Wayne, Orange County is one. That's where he landed on a taxiway a couple of years ago. Anyway, he was flying his airplane, which I think is a oh, what what kind of a airplane is this? It's a, like a high wing um, stole um, husky, I think. Um, somebody. Would it looks of, like a, a, a red one to me. Oh uh, well, no, that's you're looking at the uh, very simple diagram. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> that is not. Uh, even though on, it says Harrison's plane, that is not oh, Harrison's. Yeah, I was trying to work it out because those hangars look really weird. The helicopter and the. Yeah. the I'm trying to work out how that so, works. So, Nick, that is not a photograph. That is actually oh, a drawing. Okay, so. <laughs> it belongs in a kid's book. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think it, I think it's a husky or something like that. Maybe somebody in the in the chat room can tell us for sure what it what it is. It's got the big put, bat. Uh, yeah, it's a husky. Okay, put, put the photo that, up wait. on the screen. Yeah. Pardon me. Can you put the photo on the screen? No, maybe? they already figured it out. It's a husky. I was it's right. a husky. Is it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, he was. Uh, Landing, he had just landed at Hawthorne, uh, which is just like, uh, like five miles south of southeast, I think, of um, L.A. International, and he had landed, I believe, on two five, and then had um, departed the runway in, in a good way on a, on a taxiway, and was continuing to taxi down the length uh, parallel to the runway toward the end of the runway where he was advised to hold short and well let me play the audio and then we can all listen together hotel uniform can you hold short runway 25 traffic on the runway crossing 25 hotel uniform 
Not a hotel uniform. Get across that runway now. I told you to hold short. You need to listen up. Uh, excuse me, sir. I thought exactly the opposite. I'm terribly sorry. So, uh, if you listen, if you listen to the uh, recording carefully, uh, it's funny because a lot of I've, I saw a lot of discussion about this on in the social medias. Uh, that uh, some people heard something completely different than what I heard. And what I heard was hotel uniform, continue holding short of runway 25 traffic on the runway. And uh, Harrison Ford thought he said to cross the runway. And uh, and that's what he did. Now, the uh, this article came from uh, TMZ. Uh, what does that stand for? Um, TMZ. Yeah, TMZ. It does stand for something. But, uh, does it? Yeah, pretty sure. Hmm. Maybe not. Um, it's kind of one of those... How would you describe that network? Uh, tabloidy. Tabloidy. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, they're not aviation professionals for sure. Um, and the this article says that, um, let's see, well, let me read it. Uh, an FAA official tells TMZ the incident is under investigation. A representative for the actor tells us Mr. Ford crossed the airport's only runway in his aircraft after he misheard a radio instruction from ATC. He immediately acknowledged the mistake and apologized to ATC for the error. The purpose of the flight was to maintain currency and proficiency of the aircraft. Fact is, Harrison was getting his license updated so he could participate in more relief efforts. Over the years, he's flown humanitarian missions in Haiti. He's worked with Operation Smile and has helped rescue stranded hikers in Wyoming. Uh, Let's see. Let me continue here. I thought there was more. Um, Oh, um, yeah, I must have erased the part that I was oh there here we go um, important to note according to TMZ there was no danger of a crash the other plane was 3,600 feet away from Harrison when it hit the runway and since the guy was doing touch and goes he was up in the air be- long before reaching the other end of the runway where Ford was located <laughs> so I think yeah well I mean it's possible that the airplane doing the touch and go might have had to do a full stop landing and then it could have been a, a bad situation. I don't, I don't think you can excuse it with, well, it was just doing a touch and go and it was 3,600 feet down the runway, which really is not that far down the runway in my opinion. But I just thought it was kind of a flippant uh, remark there uh, from people that aren't aviation experts. I mean, I think if, just according to folks who were there, the aircraft were not anywhere near each other at the time that this actually occurred. I mean, they were, he should not have been crossing that runway um, yeah. because they were using it, but it, an actual danger of hitting each other, unlikely. Well, you know what? If I um, had a runway incursion and I tried to say, <laughs> well, I mean, it was way at the other end. It was 10,000 no, no, no. feet down the runway. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd still get in trouble. Oh, of course. Yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm just trying to make the point that, you know, they weren't like 100 feet away from no, each other no, or no, something. It wasn't, it wasn't a close, close call, but it was... Not just, correct. Yeah, it's clearly a violation of the FAR. As I love what the opposing bases said, he's made more FISDO appearances than movie appearances. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Good one. one. <laughs> yeah, did that come from HR or RH? <laughs> he's he's definitely not a young man anymore, no. and um, he he's not a poor man either. So uh, if I were him, I would just uh, say I go and enjoy my flying, but I'm going to keep another pilot on board the aircraft at the same time. He could afford to employ someone just to sit there and be a safety pilot. Even if he's still the captain commander, that's fine. If he's got another pair of ears on board who can keep an eye on what's happening, then he could fly until he dies. That's no problem at all. Yeah. Yeah. I agree though. Yeah. The, you know, saying continue and 
you know, hold short or don't cross continue holding is when you hear continue, that's just a little bit odd to hear if you're still holding short of the Yeah, I, I must admit, I don't think the air trafficker was, uh, particularly after he realized that he had set off, you don't think he used the clearest possible terminology mm -hmm. because uh, from what I heard, it would have been quite understandable if he'd just stopped where he was, uh, and which would have been even worse because now he's stopped in the middle of the runway. So Exactly. Uh, yeah. Or if if you were unsure about what the instruction was, then you can ask him ask. to repeat the. the yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm and especially for a runway crossing clearance, if you're yeah. not sure about yeah. it. Yeah, um, I'm not excusing his uh, actions. Not right. I mean, uh, but you're right. It wasn't completely clear uh, from the controller either. Yeah, and that's. I mean, Doc Seth, you picked right up on that. That's uh, continued to hold short. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he it's just odd yeah. phrasing. Yeah. Yeah, okay, as soon as you say continue, I think like, continue okay, taxi. Yeah, continue. <laughs> right. Continue is a an action. You know, to to continue doing something in motion, uh, whereas stop or hold short or do not cross. Those are all the exact opposite. Or um, in that, in that case, in this <laughs> case, I think the controller could have just not said anything at all. Yeah, because he was already holding, holding short. short. Yeah. He didn't have to say to continue to hold short. Sure. And if you're if you're already holding short and then the controller comes back and talks to you, the next thing you're expecting to hear is, okay, cross the runway. Great. Yeah. Expe you know. Expectation, expectation bias. bias. Yep. I beat you. Jinx. <laughs> Ex expectation bias. And the first word you hear is continue. So I, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, then he didn't do anything wrong. It, it, well, I think it was just a combination of things. Yeah, and I think he needs to do hearing aid. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I think that's Miracle, probably the biggest thing I'm going to send him a, a, a gift certificate to Miracle Ear. <laughs> we love Harrison Ford, though. If you're just oh, new yeah, to our program, we love, love him. <laughs> and, and I love the way his PR people stepped in immediately and reminded everyone what good you know things yeah. he does. And he does, to he be does. fair. Yeah. But I'm afraid when it comes to flight safety, that doesn't really wash. Yeah. True, true. Well, that's true. Okay. <laughs> item, uh, true. item G. True. Um, true. This is a sad true. one. Um, and this is from One Mile at a Time blog. This is pretty unbelievable. Yesterday, two Qatar, or Qatar Airways aircraft parked next to one another at Doha Hamad International Airport collided due to strong winds. The planes in question were an Airbus A350-900 and a Boeing 787-8. At the time of the incident, there was a storm with winds gusting from 19 knots to 61 knots. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, did you were yeah. you able to see the uh, yeah. the video? In yeah, that yeah, I saw the video. That was yeah, nasty, nasty-looking winds. Yeah. And uh, in fact, they were so nasty. How nasty were they? Uh, that the Very nasty. the Boeing 787, apparently jealous of the Airbus A350 um, to its left, um, parked next door, decided to go ahead and crash itself into the uh, A350. <laughs> Take this. Yeah. Yeah. You think you're so hot. <laughs> uh, actually, I don't know why it only turned the 787 and not the, um, uh, not the 350. But anyway. Um, and I'm wondering, we'll probably have a discussion of why it was able to move at all. But um, anyway, uh, it did. And uh, it looked like um, there was some damage here. Let me uh, try to see if I can uh, share this so you all can see it. And it uh, looks like the 787 is kissing 
the um, the 350. Here we it go. Shows you how much more lightweight the 787 is than the 350. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Svelte. Just a little. It's just a little nudge. Stuff. Like a little just kiss. A little, um, like you know, like dogs like will nuzzle up against you. It's like, hey. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Take me outside. Give me a walk. Give me a treat. Yeah, you can tell who's the mummy. So here's another picture of the um, of the nose cone on the uh, 787. Looks like uh, it hit the 350 right about where the first cargo bin is, where the cargo bin door is. So uh, anyway, it's probably a, a pretty strong structural area of the 350. I would imagine that maybe even though it looks bad, I'm not sure that there was a lot of extensive damage on uh, either airplane. You know, we can't see the other side of it, but it almost looks like he hit. It, he hit the, the airplane uh, went straight into the middle of that door. So if that's the case, uh, replace the door, check for structural integrity around the door. And uh, the nose on the, uh, on the seven, eight, seven is, it doesn't look too terrible either. It just looks like a nose cone. Yeah. So of course they're, they're doing all the checks on that to see what kind of damage there is. But uh, yeah, if, check out the show notes folks, because um, the uh, the Twitter yeah, that video is worth seeing. Yeah, the video mm-hmm. and the Twitter post mm-hmm. is uh, pretty pretty impressive. Seems like it came on very suddenly, and uh, geez, when that seven eight set off, I went, "Whoa!" Yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was there. So you were asking why just one aircraft moved. Um, you know, you don't have to have equal winds across that same distance. You could have had a much higher, you know like almost a mini microburst right in that area or just the wind direction um, on the other side of that aircraft in that moment was enough to turn it and, and push it. Or maybe, or um, maybe, maybe the 787 didn't have any chops shocked. and didn't have their parking brake set. That's also possible. And yeah, the other did. That's cool. Well, remember these, these aircraft have been sitting for a while. So the hydraulics may have bled down in the system. So the, even though it may have been commanded to be set, there may have not been enough pressure to hold it. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Yeah, the pneumatic system is generally the one that holds the parking brake on, and that actually is the hardest system to keep pressurized because it leak air leaks away quite easily. But pneumatic uh, system, yeah, certainly on the Airbuses. Pneumatics, yeah, um, yes, data, particularly huh? wow. on the Airbus. Actually, I'm, I'm surprised. How do you keep hydraulics pressurized? I've never heard that. I've always thought it was hydraulics. Well, so. it, it is, but it's through air. But I think the 787's so brakes are electric, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, really, oh, really. Yeah, somebody in the oh, chat room. Well, can... that's actually that's a really good. That would be a really good idea if it was, because the, it takes a long time for the battery to go flat. I don't. Yeah, and and regardless of what kind of system is installed there, I mean, you should have the thing chocked. If there's any chance yeah. that whatever the system is that's supposed to keep the brakes on, it will, can bleed off or potentially could. Yeah, and if the weather's forecast to be bad, and generally speaking, most people uh, understand that, you don't just chop the nose wheel on and the back of the main wheels or whatever, where the slope is. You chop fore and aft, and if necessary, on the nose wheel, you can chop in all four directions so that there's less chance of it weather cocking because that's mm-hmm. what it effectively did. It was just like a, a glider. It tried to point into wind, so when the wind hit it, it swung. Yeah. So, so Sean in the uh, chat room says they caught the tail end of that same storm. He was in Dubai, um, and it was blue skies. And then 15 minutes later, it was kind of suddenly there. Wow. So wow. it did move pretty quickly. Like apparently. a freak storm or something. Huh? Yeah. 
And we don't, you know, to be to be fair, we don't know whether or not those airplanes were sitting there for a long time or not because they are operating a certain percentage of their fleet, and those could be airplanes that had just come in. You know, I don't know, or maybe yeah. there's something in this article that tells well, me different. It parked on a remote ramp, so unless well, they're doing. It, oh, it looked like it was ta- that video was taken from a terminal to me, but maybe not. Yeah, it looked like a fixed camera. Yeah. Didn't it? Because it wasn't camera, actually- but if, if you look at the video, there's no terminal in front of it. Just it's got light poles in front of them. Yeah, could be could be remote parking. Well, I don't know. I mean, we don't really know what the details are. They they no. could have just flown, or maybe they were there for two months. So I mean, it just I'm doing, goes to I'm, show how easy it is to shift a you know a two hundred uh, ton airplane. I'm doing my best to be devil's advocate. You know that. That's what I'm good at. Very good at that. All right. Well, that's it in our news folder. So I think it's now time for our getting to know us segment. And uh, let's see. I think, again, we'll start in seniority order. Well, no, I'm not going to say that because apparently that's caused all kinds of, of strife. <laughs> talking about seniority on the APG crew. They have questions for us. I'm just wondering about redundancies, Jeff, uh, (laughs) because, you know, last in, first out. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll save that for the the feedback section, I guess. Um, So I'm going to pick the person that is on the top row to my left, or to your right if you're looking at the screen. Steph. That's me. (laughs) That's you. Hey, true. so true. yeah, what have I been up to? That's true. Uh, I have um, done quite a bit of flying actually over the the past weekend, so that was a lot of fun. It was not entirely expected, but um, uh, it was a gorgeous weekend here in the Carolinas, uh, which was good. Kind of sandwiched in between storms last week, thunderstorms this week, um, but the weekend was was absolutely beautiful. Uh, Saturday was sunny, a little on the cool, well, not cool, but just kind of perfect temperatures, not very windy. And I got a, a message from a friend the night before I said, Hey, um, he works for the local, uh, skydiving drop zone. And we had talked a little bit about, um, some of these different, um, military flybys and things. Well, um, we actually had one today in, in North Carolina, which I missed. I think it did fly over Charlotte about an hour ago or so. Um, but he said, Hey, um, up near Raleigh, uh, the, one of the local um, airports is organizing um, local GA, GA aircraft and other folks who want to fly to do kind of a, a flying parade, more or less. And uh, the guy who owns the skydiving drop zone wants me to go up there and fly the Twin Otter with them because the Twin Otter is actually uh, stored up there when they're not using it. And he said, you want to fly along, play FO for the day? I said, Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's do that. Uh, so I left my house at like, gosh, 6.45 in the morning. Because uh, I wanted to be wheels up by 8. Takes me a little bit of time to get down there. Um, we flew the 182 up to uh, the Raleigh area. And um, gosh, they had a big turnout for this. There were probably 40 aircraft, I would say. Um, and since we were flying in the, the Twin Otter, we got to be the lead of the parade. So that made it easy on us. And they had it all organized, and they'd been planning this for a while. I was a latecomer to it, but um, um, I did not sit uh, right seat in the Twin Otter. There was another um, pilot there who was uh, looking to familiarize himself more, so he did that. And I just kind of hung out in the back with a couple other folks, and we took a bunch of pictures. And um, beautiful day to fly over 
downtown Raleigh, downtown Durham. Um, and they kind of made the parade go over a bunch of different hospitals and it kind of formed a heart shape as you went around. So it looked really cool. I've got a screenshot from, uh, I think just from Flight Radar 24 with all the different aircraft involved. It was quite, quite a lot. Um, I'm actually very impressed that everyone was able to follow the instructions for the most part and be where they were supposed to be when they were supposed to be and, and pull it off successfully. So it was a lot of fun. And then, um, on the way back, we, uh, we left the twin otter there, took the 182 back, but stopped at, um, BQ one, which is Carthage, North Carolina with a, uh, very nice barbecue restaurant, the pick and pig. So we went in there and actually, as we were flying in, another friend of ours was on the radio about to leave. So he said, hey, <laughs> don't leave yet. We want to say hi. So he got back off the runway and we chatted for a while. And um, then we actually made one more stop on the way back. We stopped at another, um, at a private grass strip, actually, where a friend has a bunch of tailwheel aircraft and hung out for a little while and chatted and got a little ride in a, a nice Piper Cub. So yeah, it was a full day of flying and aviation related stuff. Lots of fun. Well, I, I, I saw some of your pictures uh, from that adventure. And the thing that made me most jealous was the barbecue. The barbecue. The barbecue is really good. So that that yeah. airport BQ1 um, is the one where Opposing Bases is trying to organize a little fly-in get-together. We were supposed to do it this past month, but with everything going on with the pandemic and virus, decided that was not a great idea where they decided that. Um, but I think they're going to look at doing that again Um the video gave many of us nightmares, trees. <laughs> yeah, so um, BQ1, uh, it's not a sh terribly short runway. It's 2,500 feet of uh, paved surface. It's 36 feet wide um, with all, and the parking is all along the side of the runway there. So it, it does give you kind of that narrow, tight feeling. And if you're landing on 3-1, the trees are rather tall on that end. And they've kind of cut out, you know, an approach pathway through the trees where they've taken down the the branches. But I think the last time they actually cleared that was maybe not this year or the year before. So some of the branches <laughs> have um, grown in a little bit closer again. I was watching you were the, me. Yeah, sorry, Jeff. I was gonna say I was watching the video and I was lifting my feet up. Yeah, yeah, I was getting the heebie-jeebies. I really was because I'm like imagining, uh, you know, a, a sixty meter wingspan, and I'm going, what? <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. I mean, plenty of room for a small GA aircraft, though. It's the trees are closer than they appear in the video. That sounds like something. No, the, trees the, the, trees appear, the trees appear closer in the video than they are. And they I really are. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute, this stuff. That's even worse. That. You're, not, that. you're not Reverse making that. us feel better at all. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, who wants to go fly in there with me? It's great times. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, I, I, but yeah. I'll, you can do the landing. Thank you That's very fine. Much. That's fine. Um, yeah. that was, and I, I was taking the video, so obviously that was not my landing, but uh, our, uh, my friend uh, did a great job of that. Are you so, sure? Excellent. I'm sure. I'm sure okay. I would never Doing fly, fly and, and video at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of the um, uh, A7 formation where the guy, this was years and years and years ago, and he was taking a video. Uh, it, it may not even been video. It may have been film, uh, movie camera, and uh, doing a, a video of a, or the filming of a turning rejoin and not realizing that uh, the uh, perspective that you're going to have looking through the lens of a, of a camera is going to be different than your actual perspective. Yes. yes. And, uh, basically rode that turning rejoin line right into the, uh, other jet. 
<laughs> Mid-air collision. Oh, no. Oopsie. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Not a good no, idea. I will show you in this case, if I, I know I said it backwards the first time, but the trees were further away than oh, okay. they actually good. appear in good. the good. in the video. Although uh, there, we did have um, a couple of backseat passengers. Um, one of the, um, I think he's part owner now of of the drop zone and, and his wife. And if you listen closely in the video, he goes, oh, those trees are close. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, was that the screaming we heard in the background? That was the screaming in the background, yeah. <laughs> he's a skydiver, but he's not, not a pilot. <laughs> yeah. He's not used to coming back down in the airplane. Not, yeah, not used to making a lot of landings in, in the aircraft. <laughs> um, no, he's, yeah. That was good so stuff. So that was a lot of fun. It was it was a great day. Um, Sunday was a beautiful day, too. It was like 85 degrees. Had another friend come over, and we just basically spent the whole day on the lake, and you can, I got a little sunburned. Whoops. But it's all good. Yeah. I'm disappointed because I thought that there was no way that Steph could actually get sunburned, but apparently she can. Yeah, well, yeah, it doesn't last very long. It's like 12 hours of sunburn, and then it goes <laughs> away, but... So um, while you were talking about the beautiful day on Sunday on the lake, um, I got a, an affirmative nod of the head from the person in the square right below you, Steph, uh, Captain Dana. Um, so I'm guessing that maybe you have spent some time in your uh, aqua vehicle on the lake. Yes. As a matter of fact, that's all I've done because <laughs> there's certainly no flying to go around. Um yeah, missing missing uh, being behind the uh, behind the oak and behind some throttles on my mad dog, and uh, just not doing a whole lot. I spent uh, the past weekend, although I did bid uh, reserve. Oh, did I bid? What, what's that? Yeah, no, that was actually in the April. So I I was still a line holder then, and I had bid that weekend off. Originally, was supposed to be down in Florida doing our, our annual placa uh, long run down to uh, Silver Springs. Uh, yeah, across, uh, I forget the name of the lake in Florida. But anyways, uh, we had the a, a very nice weekend on the lake, and that's really about all that I've had going on, just uh, some construction, still working on a few things around the house. They came to uh, put the uh, mirror in in the bathroom, and by the time he got here, it was scratched, so he had to leave. And uh, nothing really else going on. Pretty boring. All right. Um, so you you said you're on reserve this month? Yep. Okay. That's why you haven't been flying. <laughs> well, I had no choice. Oh, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, that makes sense now yeah. why you're not flying because most of the flying is, is being done by people like me whose trips were were basically canceled, but we're still on the on the hook for recovery flying. So most of the flying out there right now is recovery flying from our original trips. And it's not from a lack of trying because I've put in some requests to fly and uh, nothing has come my way. As a matter of fact, crew scheduling called me this morning. I looked at my phone. It's eight o'clock in the morning. It's my last day of reserve. I'm thinking to myself, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm getting uh, assigned anything at least i hope they're not trying to assign me into my off days with how many people we have on reserve no i doubt it and uh, it was just a notification that you go on a rest at noontime so yeah. i guess i could go get a nice frosty bourbon a scotch and partake but uh yeah i wish i wish it was better better but it's i was kind of waiting for that the uh, final axe to, to fall on on the displacement and see where it's going to end up that has not been issued yet. We're waiting for that um, anytime now. 
when the uh, airline figures out the airplanes they'll be flying and uh, the staffing required and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, my and my hats off to all our brethren that uh, the first notification came, not of a furlough necessarily, but of a displacement. Mm-hmm. I noticed we didn't talk about that, but forty five hundred pilots over at United have been displaced mm-hmm. or being displaced. So my hat's off to you guys. All right. Um, Nick, how yes, have you sir. been doing, sir? Well, uh, I, I'm very pleased to announce that I've finished yet another course of antibiotics. Oh, Got yeah. this claps hard to get rid of, isn't it? Um, Did somebody sorry, say claps? Uh, no. <laughs> 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 Lots of claps for you there. Thank you very much, indeed. Sure. Much appreciated. Uh-huh. Um, no, the, uh, the the next swelling has abated. I, I think it's completely gone, but we'll see. Um, in the meantime, I've had a delightful time catching up with uh, my old friend uh, Ian Palmer, who is in the Facebook chat room right now, who uh, was kind enough to uh, let me interview him. Fascinating bloke. And uh, he's got a really interesting life story, and we're going to find out about that later on in The Plain Tale. And uh, that will be the first of four uh, for that particular interview. So thank you very much indeed, uh, Ian. Um, And uh, in the meantime, not a lot has been going on, really. Uh, I've been looking for any opportunity to get out of the house, but... uh, (laughs) Not much going on, but Jilly did need uh, to have her sewing machine um, uh, serviced. Uh, thank the Lord for that. So that gave me an opportunity to go out. She's been making gowns for the National Health Service, uh, so that's why she's been using her sewing machine. Um, a repetitive and difficult staff uh, job because it's not easy material to work with, uh, this kind of ripstop uh, nylon. They make... Uh, the protective uh, gowns, surgical gowns out of. But uh, she and a whole a raft of volunteers have made hundreds, if not thousands, of these now, which are going to uh, uh, local health um, emporiums. What's the word? Uh, units in our uh, area. So uh, uh, that's been very good. And I've had a chance to get out and uh, out of the house at least, uh, and of course our daily dog walks and things. But uh, we're coping very well, uh, to be fair. Um, apart from the fact that there's no bowling, um, my life hasn't actually changed that much, quite honestly. Um, yeah. Anyway, we we're coping. Thank you very much. Well, very good. And you and you started in, stopped the antibiotics, and I started them for you. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, I'm I'm actually into my first bottle of wine for two weeks, so that's very nice. Celebration. Well, Woohoo. Got a lot of catching up to do. Exactly right. We'll we'll drink to that. Thank you. I need a beer. Mm. I need some You do. Yeah, I need some something better than water. All right. You can you can leave now if you want. Just me kind of catching up with everybody. No, I'm not leaving until you're done. Okay. Yeah, um, I wanted to hear all the ketchups. Ketchup. Did somebody say ketchup? I have some mayonnaise, but not ketchup. I've got some hot sauce from got Taco some, Bell. I I have some uh hot sauce from the local uh, taqueria. That's probably better than the hot sauce from Taco Bell that I have. Probably. I was going to oh. say, uh, what kind of taco sauce do you end up with uh, there, Steph? They have hot, medium, and mild. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually like Taco Bell hot sauce. 
No, no, I, I wasn't referring to Taco yeah, Bell's. So you're talking right about now. my dog. Oh, so Taco the dog. The dog. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did take Taco oh, with me on the trip to Taco Bell. He had his, I, sh- I need a picture of him with his head like out the window in front of. He looks giving just his like, order. Well, he looks just like the Yo Quiero Taco Bell dog Yo from the commercials oh, way back in the, the day. It's, it's a good thing he doesn't really understand um, or read English because he's, he probably started to think, wait a minute, people eat tacos? <laughs> <laughs> but you see his ears perk up as you're placing the order it's like like two tacos he's like yes yeah, yeah. what there's more than one of me Love it. all right um let's see what are you up to jeff well i just got back this morning from a three-day trip uh left on tuesday and uh did a, it was a tough day one flight up from atlanta to nashville nice long layover there these layovers are really odd because really they're when you get to a hotel, you're pretty much the air crew is the only the, the only uh, guests at the hotels these days. So you don't see like normal people walking around or anything happening. And then you kind of get the, the rundown, um, you know, if, if there's going to be any place to eat at, at the hotel or any place nearby or maybe start looking at options like Uber Eats and DoorDash and some of these services that uh, provide um, delivery. And then once you've gotten that briefing, uh, you go up to your room and you just uh, quarantine yourself and, you know, maybe go out and take a walk and that kind of thing. Um, It's just kind of a surreal um, kind of um, existence right now with this whole uh, virus pandemic and the lack of people traveling, um, staying with the with you at the hotels that you normally see. Anyway, uh, yesterday went from Nashville back to Atlanta and then up to Richmond, Virginia, and uh, another very quiet layover in Richmond, and then one leg back this morning. So it was nice and easy, easy peasy trip. And uh, the trip that I had next week uh, was was canceled, and um, and I've already flown my obligation for covering any recovery flying for that. So basically I'm off for the entire week. Um, but I might try to pick up something if I can, uh, just to try to fill up for the month because, uh, next month, no, not for you, Dana, not for you. Um, yeah, I have a a couple of years of seniority on you that, so I'm going to, I'm going to exercise that. And this is real seniority, not made up APG show seniority <laughs> but i have you on that too <laughs> yep so uh next month i just want to get out and fly yeah it's and it what's it's kind of weird uh so basically i don't have i have two of those trips i think i've talked about it before uh that have the 35 hour grand rapids layover uh still on my schedule they have not been 23 k'd but i can't th- th- those are not going to operate because we do not fly mainline acme to grand rapids from atlanta anymore or how back. disappointing you can't go to founders i cannot i mean i can't are on they my even open t- anyway um but probably not be able to go to probably not you can buy it at, at the oh so you that's, know even, what? that's even worse you get there and then you've got 35 hours and you can't and then you can't do it yeah it would be a perfect opportunity for it um by the way i didn't realize that stone brewing um has a, a brewery in richmond uh, Virginia. I mean, it's like just a couple of blocks from, um, from our hotel that we're staying in at at the moment. And, uh, they're from, uh, what do they call it? North County, uh, North of San Diego. Um, Brandon Gonzalez and I had a nice lunch at the brewery, um, 
beer gardens or whatever they call them in um, just north of San Diego um, last year, I think. Or was it the year before? I don't know. Time flies when you're having fun. See, now for you beer connoisseurs out there, mm-hmm. I was uh, at this abstract liquor store that I never go to, and I saw this sitting out there. And it says, Death by King Cake from Oscar Blues Brewery. I think it's out in Colorado. Yes, there's an Oscar Blues in Colorado and also in Long Longmont, Colorado, and also in um, very close to Asheville. North Carolina, very close to Asheville, yes. Okay, so it may have been brewed in North Carolina, more than likely. And it's an ale with vanilla, cinnamon, nutmeg, cocoa nibs, orange peel, and pecans. Well, king cakes are super sweet. Um, Do you know what I a king cake it. is? Hmm? I know you, Steph knows what a king cake I is. Do you know what that, what that is, uh, Dana? Dana? It's, mm, it's a New it's, Orleans thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Around Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. And, um, Mardi Gras. Yeah, no. and they've put a little plastic baby inside of it. Little baby it's Jesus. Sweet little baby oh, Jesus. So whoever ends up with it. Yeah. That's and then cake. when you cut the cake into pieces, everyone gets a slice and whoever has the baby Jesus wins. I think so. <laughs> what they win. Yeah. That's, that's the weirdest competition I've ever heard of. <laughs> anyway. yeah, every, every year, one of our friends from who was originally from New Orleans sends us a king cake. So. Well, you know, it's Nick. Yeah, you have to understand. It's from New Orleans. It doesn't have to make sense. Yeah, it's it's New Orleans. That's the way you describe it. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Okay. New, New Orleans is a place. You might need to explain that a little more. Uh, it's a it's a crazy town full of just amazingly wonderful people who will party at the drop of a hat. It doesn't matter what it is. They'll. They'll have a party for it. I mean, like literally any year, any day of the year, there's oh, yeah. a parade for something going through town. It's amazing. To it's me. A, it's a great town. Okay. Yeah. Liz says she's really not sure exactly where we are as far as the timing of the show is concerned. So, yeah, if you're listening to this um, and you, well, you're hearing my voice right now, you are listening to this. We have no idea. <laughs> Uh, where we are in the show. So it might be a two and a half hour show. It might be a three and a half hour show. So you'll either you'll, way you might, you might be lucky. Yeah. Whatever your preference is. <laughs> yeah, you could, you could, we could make, it's possible that we might make some people happy. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so I was talking about the beer. We got over that. And um, so let's see. And Oh, so I was saying, the rest of the month, basically, even though I still have these trips on my schedule, I, they're not going to operate. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I just may have flown my last flight this morning. Who knows? Uh, on the 88, that is, and 90. Yeah. So we'll see. And if you're if you're just watching the show for the first time, uh, the fleet that uh, Dana and I are on, uh, the MD-88s and MD-90s over at Acme Air, uh, have been uh, per- permanently parked or will will have been permanently parked in june beginning of june so um and what that means for us is we'll end up flying something else we just don't know what yet because we're waiting for our company to come out with a with a displacement bid and uh, we'll displace to uh, something um all right i think nick thinks he's uh muted but he's not Oh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> I just had to change a plug over because I can intermittent audio. Oh, okay. Not a not a problem. You know, I just thought of this. Yeah, Doctor Steph. Oh. You. I'm on uh, ZPAC. I probably shouldn't be drinking any alcohol. Not recommended. 
was to kill the efficacy efficacy of the the. Uh... It's just not. A, it's just not a great idea. Yeah. All right, I'll give it to my wife. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, hopefully, I'll get to fly another trip. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. What was that last trip that you just took, though? Where did you go? I went to uh, Nashville and Richmond. Okay. Nashville, Richmond. Yeah, and uh, the Stone Brewing was in Richmond, Virginia. As I, as I said, right. I didn't That's even right. know they they had a place there. I, I thought it was kind of strange when I was looking at the cooler at the um, courtyard by Marriott, um, and it had a bunch of Stone IPAs in there. And I'm thinking, well, that's odd. I mean, pleasantly surprised. But uh, then I, I realized later when I was looking at Google Maps that uh, they're they're in the Richmond area. Anyway, uh, enough of that. Um, this Saturday is my son's birthday. He'll be turning 26 years old. I know it's hard to believe because I Whew. look like I'm 26. Yeah. But, I mean, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you could basically be brothers. Oh, right? yeah. For sure. That, we, it, that happens all the time. Oh, you guys are brothers, right? No. Um, and then Sunday here in the U.S., it's Mother's Day. So if you have a mom out there, don't forget to give her a nice card, flowers or whatever, diamond ring, something like that. And uh, let's see. Oh, uh, last week we talked about Jet Fuel Java um, and uh, Jeff Jet, the uh, proprietor. Uh, and he gave us a discount code. I'll remind you of that here in a second. But I, I used that discount code and ordered some more coffee. I think I already told you this is a really good one. They're called the uh, uh, Hidden Apache. And uh, that's a, a really, really, that's why I ordered some more. And then I decided I'd try this one. Go get them Osprey. Uh, nice. Or Osprey. We and, have to tell uh, me which ones you like the best because I'm not a coffee drinker, but it sounds like a good gift to yeah. give to others well, who I, are coffee drinkers in my life. So I tried the. Uh, I trust your judgment on which uh, which flavors yeah, are the, the espresso roast, uh, the one that was the the blackbird. Um, mm-hmm. Good, but I prefer this one here, the hidden Apache. It's mm. my personal favorite. Hidden Apache, but I have not tried this other one here. This go get them Osprey, and then Jet Jeff says that his favorite is the the blend that they have. I forgot what the name of it is, but anyway, just a reminder that you can still get your. Coffee from Jeff Jet, Jet Fuel Java, by heading over to jetfueljava.com and make sure that you order before the 15th of this month, so you only have a little bit of time. Uh, Use code APG423, and it works because I used it. 20% off. Again, the code is APG. What happens if you use APG420? I, then you get then you something get, different. You get a different package. <laughs> <laughs> it is the West Coast, right? And uh, the well, Washington well, State. Fantastic. I think it's legal there. That grass that Laura Davis was talking about earlier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, grass cuttings. Yeah. Uh, oh, but, by the way, look yeah. at my T-shirt. I saw it. Oh, nice. I, I have one of those T-shirts, too. I wore it into BQ1 when we flew there. Yeah, but well, I bet you didn't have to pay 20% VAT plus customs plus handling charge on top. No, these That's guys live up the shirt. street from me. So, like, there's no yeah, I know. charge on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, opposing bases. Uh, this is going to be the only last <laughs> t-shirt I order. <laughs> well, can't, just, can't just, just send work. your t-shirt to, to me, and whenever we get to see each other again in the future, I'll just... That's a good idea. I'll do that. Oh, I was just so keen to get it because it looked so nice. And it is nice. It's a great T-shirt. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, 
that is all I have on my list of things to talk about in the getting to know us segment for me anyway. So anywho, uh, just a reminder to everyone who is a patron uh, on Patreon, uh, still not charging for anything. So your pledges are not being uh, charged. And um, I'm going to continue to do that for the rest of this month. And then we'll just kind of assess how things are going. Maybe in June, we'll get that back going again. But for those of you who are uh, continuing to be patrons of the show, thank you very much. And we've actually had several people join us as patrons. Um, and so, Well, that's brilliant. I have to say that uh, because of the generosity of Ian Palmer, uh, uh, I've got four plain tales, uh, more or less done. And uh, I'll be able to produce some extra stuff for the Patreon. Feed. So hopefully we'll get some more stuff out for that because I noticed we, we haven't produced anything for a little while. Yeah, I keep meaning to do that and I'm just like, oh, I'm too tired because I'm not oh, doing yeah. anything. Oh, yeah, working too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I need to I get I keep meaning there. to do it and then I just don't. Yeah. yeah. And then I think Rick was going to – oh, by the way, Rick um, sends his apologies for not being able to be with us today, but he picked up some overtime flying. And, yeah, I think uh, as we speak right now, he's out there on a trip. So hopefully he'll be back with us next week. And uh, what else was I going to say? Something reminded me of. Well, I was just going to say uh, there are an awful lot of pilots out there would be going lucky, lucky, lucky exactly. man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can't can't blame him. Can't fault him at all. No, no, no. That's can't blame overtime, him. Uh, Absolutely. He's, extra he's, he's in the right part yeah. of the industry right now. I know yeah. what I was going to say because uh, we were talking about crew logs. I think. I think Rick recorded some stuff that he wants to uh, put out there as a crew log as well, although I haven't seen it yet. So um, hopefully we'll we'll have that. And recorded. Oh, <laughs> He's taken the I Stephanie. I see Jim uh, Needens just pitched up in the chat room, uh, and uh, his was the suggestion we used for last the last show's title. So hi, yeah. Tim. Well done, mate. Down the hatch. All right. Um, let's go ahead and do our coffee fun segment. Johnny, how much more coffee? No oh, thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and a Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. Just mentioned um, the coffee fund and Patreon and patrons and all that kind of stuff. No new patrons for between this show and last but again no problem because we're not uh, we're not charging anybody for anything over there uh, but we do have some folks that took advantage of the coffee fund classic method which is uh, basically our paypal donation page and you can use that to do recurring uh, contributions or uh, one-time uh, donations and since the last show we got a recurring payment from randolph or randy ackerman and william driver and then we got um one-time or separate isolated payments from Alan Davis and a very, very generous um, payment or a contribution from, um, well, it says Matthew. Uh, I think it's Sean uh, sent us a really generous donation to our Coffee Fund Classic method. So thank you so much, Sean, and everyone else who has uh, donated, contributed to the show via the Coffee Fund. If you want to find out more about how you can do the same, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. 
Captain. Incoming message. Okay, yes, it's feedback time. And let's start off with uh, some audio feedback from Joseph. I think we tried to do this on an earlier episode, and we just ran out of time. And it's kind of a long audio um, feedback, so we're going to go we're going to just cut it in half most likely. So we'll play the first half today and most likely the second half on the next episode. So take it away, Joseph. Good morning, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, Captain Jeff and Dr. Steph. And I believe that you received some sort of a reincarnation of the now Captain Miami Rick. I was a number one aficionado of the show for many years and I did him once do a voice feedback many moons ago, but I lost touch of the episode since I went into studying to become an airline pilot. But now, obviously, the coronavirus lockdown is on. I'm starting to catch up on a few episodes. So I'm not entirely sure where the uh, who's who on the show nowadays, to be honest. But anyway, I just thought I would share with the community my story as to how I got here because... I obviously can't judge it for myself, but I believe that it's possibly a little bit of a unique situation. But if nothing else, it'd be nice to perhaps uh, provide a bit of inspiration from somebody in a similar situation. And also, it'd be nice to dispel a few myths that I've been seeing floating around on the forums recently, where people have been making suggestions such as it's only a privileged job for privileged people, which I must admit irks me a little bit because... It negates the fact of the sacrifices that people have been making, as well as me feeling it's slightly disrespectful to the people who are already serving as airline pilots. But anyway, so here's my story. So I kind of first connected with airliners probably when I was around about the age of seven or eight, I think. The first time I was consciously aware that I was going onto an aeroplane to go on a family holiday and Obviously, as a young child, it really sparked my imagination, just the possibilities, as well as a highly sophisticated job such as that. So I kind of had it as a childhood dream that that is what I want to do. I want to become an airline pilot when I grow up. But I certainly wasn't a naughty child at all, but uh, I was perhaps a little bit exuberant in my youth and perhaps didn't apply myself quite as well to my schoolwork as what I should have done. And then in the UK here, we do something called a General Certificate of Secondary Education, which is from the age of 12 to 16. And then you have an option, or you did at the time, to go back from 16 to 18 to do your advanced levels, aka the A-levels. So around about the age of 16, I got persuaded to go into the family business, which was catering. And But I took the option to go back to school anyway to do my A-levels and... Because my destiny was looking like it was going to be in the family business, I perhaps didn't pay as much attention to my A-levels as I should have done. And as a result, left with a bunch of grades which didn't really reflect my capabilities, much to the frustration of my tutors because they all thought that, you know, I could have done much better than what I did do. And obviously it was a bit disappointing for my parents. So... Anyway, once school had finished, I actually went to move to New Zealand for six months to work as a dairy farmer. And then that came to an end and I returned back to assume my position in the family business. But after around about seven months or so, I absolutely hated the job with a passion. I just could not adjust to it whatsoever. 
So I ended up going, well, the business got sold off and I ended up going to work on a dairy farm, which is something that I'd always enjoyed doing. But after another seven months or so, I quickly became disenchanted with that because, well, there's a few things that happened around the time, but one of the main ones was I went up to visit one of my friends who was at university up in Newcastle and went on a night out and I realised that he was having a fantastic social life as well as making some uh, good strides towards doing the career that he really wanted to do. But most of all, we're both in exactly the same financial situation, so it wouldn't matter for me anyway, which was basically skint, i.e. we had no money between the two of us whatsoever. So anyway, there was one particular day in October, which I'm sure Nick can attest to, the beautiful UK October weather. It was absolutely hammering it down with rain, and I was outside shoveling, well, we'll keep this a family show, muck around, uh, just covered in muck and rain. And I know it sounds incredibly corny, but I looked up at the sky and there was a brief parting in the clouds before they quickly disappeared under a large strata of nimbus clouds again. But through the clouds, I could see that there was a beautiful airliner streaking across the sky, leaving a gorgeous silver contrail behind it. And then there it was, at the age of 21, I decided, that is it. I have absolutely had enough of this lifestyle. There is nothing holding me back because I didn't have a mortgage or any financial commitments. Neither did I have a girlfriend at the time. So I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to hand my notice in and we're going to make the rest up as we go along. So the next day, pretty much, without a proper game plan in place, I thought, that's it. We're going to put the notice in and we're going to take it from there. So before I completely left agriculture, I decided that I wanted to go and work with the harvesting teams just as a bit of a final hurrah. So I went to do that for the summertime and uh, <laughs> ended up getting dismissed from that job of all things. But um, after that, I committed to going back to college. So I enrolled on a course which was due to start in a few months time in the September. Uh, so I got another job working as a butcher and then ended up getting dismissed from that one as well. But uh, I was also, at the time, working as a doorman, which I think over in America you call it a bouncer, which is basically just doing a security function on nightclub doorways and stuff. So anyway, um, in the September, I went back to college to put my education right, because I sincerely believed at the time that there was three things that you had to assert to become an airline pilot, whether it's right or wrong. It's what I believed at the time, which was that you needed the mental capacity to do the job, uh, good health and the financial side of it. So obviously, having made a bit of a hash of my education the first time round, I went to put the record straight again. So I enrolled on a course which was basically an access to higher education in uh, engineering. So it's heavily maths and physics based, which is what I was led to believe the airlines are looking for at the time. And graduated a year la later with uh, three distinctions and a pass. So I was very happy with that because it meant that if I wanted to, I could have gone straight on to the university to study engineering at a degree level. But anyway, uh, during that time as well, I'd actually also sat the uh, GAPAN test, which is a Guild of Air Pilot and Air Navigators. They use the uh, Royal Air Force's 
battery of test against gauge your mental suitability for that particular job. So I was off to RAF Cranwell and uh, yeah, I passed it halfway between an airline pilot and a jet fighter pilot. So I was very happy with that. Basically, I proved to myself that I had the mental capacity to do the job as well as being a generally healthy person anyway. So after that, it was simply a matter of getting the money together. So this is now going back to 2010 when I eventually walked out the college doors for the final time. So I continued to work on the doors for a little bit longer on the nightclubs and then eventually decided that it's probably best that I left that industry, to be honest, because it was all starting to get a little bit dodgy in the place where I was working at the time. So after that, I went to work with children with severe behavioural difficulties because it was a little bit more secure, you know, it was more predictable with time off as well as being entitled to paid leave and such. So out of that, I it was the initial kind of financial springboard that I needed to get a game plan together in order to get the money together to do the training. And so I thought the best way of getting the money together to do this without any formalised kind of apprenticeship or proper degree or something was to enter the oil and gas industry and possibly look into doing truck driving on my days off. Uh, my initial intention was to actually just go straight offshore working as a cook or a cleaner because it still paid reasonably good money anyway. More than what you need in order to survive, let's say. So off I went to do my offshore survival course thinking, oh, well, you know, it'll be a bit of a struggle, but eventually we'll get there. And it just simply didn't work. I obviously passed the course, but after several months of trying, it just didn't work. So the school that I was working at with the children actually closed down and in my redundancy package I paid for my HGV licences which is to drive trucks or semis or whatever you call them over in the States. So I did that and then pretty quickly ended up going straight back into work as a truck driver. So that was a point which was about 2012. I was starting to live beyond my means and so I started to save the money up in order to obviously get onto this course. So I worked for a few months and then it was actually at a funeral that I met an old school friend who it turns out was actually working in the oil and gas industry as an industrial radiographer and he said that your issue is regarding getting into that line of work is that you just don't have anything to offer the industry in terms of training. So he said that if I went off and got my license to become an industrial radiographer, he would try his best in order to get us some work. So from the truck driving, I paid up for for the uh, radiography license, which was about another month in training. And off I went to do that, graduated with uh, some pretty good grades in that as well. But literally a month after I graduated, the oil and gas industry crashed massively back in 2014 there that is part one of joseph's aviation journey and we're going to hear part two most likely either later in this episode or perhaps the next we'll see how everything works out the suspense the suspense yes so interesting story so far man he has been (laughs) in involved in so many things yeah that's amazing Long. I'm really, I'm really curious to see how all this this works out. So yeah, me too. 
Yeah, it, we, we some of us had a slightly torturous journey to where we've ended up, but <laughs> this one has to take the <laughs> truck driver straight line path. It's you know radiography. Here, oh, God, yeah. So many tangents. Yeah. yeah. By the way, you know, it just for, makes you very well rounded if you've been able to experience all those things and do a good job of it and finally get to where you want to be. There you go. go. It's great. I was just going to say for Tim, uh, that's uh, last week's uh, art work in the background there that's jeff yeah that's oh, me that's just hanging funny. out <laughs> hanging out there jeff. literally is that how you normally fly the aircraft that's <laughs> that's how i just like to hanging out yeah i'm not qualified to fly that airplane because it's a very complicated airplane and only the best of the best yeah, get to fly that two hull buttons <laughs> take off yeah, land. Land. yeah what about cruise oh, you just gotta remember which one to press when <laughs> that's the best color the are they color coded <laughs> yeah Okay. Green and green. Uh-oh. Wait a minute, green and red. Oh. No, no, no. Well, not if you're colorblind. Red, no. red, red stop. <laughs> you don't want to stop in the air. That's not a good thing to do. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, Joseph. And we'll hear from more of, from you later. Uh, let's move on to item number two in our feedback folder. This is from Glaucus. Again, I think we're saying that correctly, right, Steph? Glaucus? As far as I remember, yeah. Glaucus. Have heard from him in a while. He says, hi, team. Hope you're all well during this unprecedented time. It is sad to see so many shops closed, so many people out of a job, and so little or few airplanes in the sky. I have uh, exhausted my stock of shows as I know or now have to car commute from Sydney to Canberra every, work, every week. But that's quite a drive, actually. Is it? How, how long? Yeah, that, how long that's, that that's well, everywhere in Australia is a long way. Yeah, I mean, it's not as long as like Sydney to Perth, mm-hmm. but it's it's not exactly uh, next door. That's for many sure. many hours. Yeah, a few hours. That's yeah. for sure. He says because uh, his company has directed them not to fly. With that, I've met a serious side effect of the APG syndrome: the abstinence. So please keep the episodes and crew logs coming. Here is an article regarding our now troubled. Oh, I'm sorry, I looked away. Um, here, here is an article regarding our now troubled VA, uh, Virgin Australia, on a recovery flight from Europe to Australia. Maybe a multifaceted question to Captain Nick: When these types of flights are to take place, do you receive any sort of notice prior to being uh, to being scheduled to fly them? Do you participate in any way, shape, or form uh, in the trip planning? Do you have to go through any sort of extra training to be able to fly such a trip? Your input is appreciated. And again, he has a link to that um, article from news.com.au about a coronavirus virgin Australia pulls off one of the world's longest flights from Paris to Brisbane. And uh, so what do you think, Nick? Uh, Are the pilots involved in any way on this or... You just are issued the yeah, order. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one. It depends entirely on how the airlines run, to be truthful, because uh, when you get up to the sort of uh, management levels where you're going to consider doing a one-off flight like this, usually your uh, fleet manager or the chief pilot uh, agrees to do it because uh, the company says, this is a great idea, but you have to have some pilot input to say, yeah, this is feasible and yes, yeah, we can do it. And... In a good company, I would say that 
the chief pilot or whoever would would pick a crew to do it and uh he would organize the flight and then he would actually personally brief the crew so it's very unlikely you'd just pitch up to work <laughs> and find yourself on a ginormous flight halfway around the world to places you've never been to before so um they would probably nominate uh, a couple of captains, uh, one over and overall charge. He would, uh, I suspect, come into the company headquarters and sit down with the planning staff and work out how they're going to do it and familiarize himself with the countries he's going to fly over uh, and uh, the pitfalls, basically, of going into places he's never been before. Uh, and when you're established in a, in a long-haul company, uh, there's usually an extremely large a route planning document which gives you all the information you need about every route the company flies so if you're going to move on to a new route uh a sensible pilot would uh pull out it pull it out sorry uh am i allowed to say that yeah thank you um uh, or at least uh get it out on his uh efb his electronic flight bag and take a look and read about how the flight works uh, and, and particularly transitions from country to country because there are often rules and regulations about moving from one country to another you have to perhaps call ahead or um, follow some procedures um that uh, yeah, so a certain amount of input uh, and uh, the route is probably going to be entirely out of his hands because on a route that long it's going to depend upon air traffic restrictions and weather so he won't have all that information the operations staff or in the united states it would be the dispatchers would have all that information they would plan the route but he would have a say in um, in a general way so he would probably approve it and say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. After all, he's the guy that has to fly it when it comes down to it. Um, with regards to uh, the number of personnel on board as well, he'll have a say in that, but the company will basically, if they're a sensible company, will even overman. We recently had an extremely long flight uh, in my old company down to um, China and back, uh, and effectively – you no one got off the airplane so it means you had to have two crews on board one crew was going to land uh the aircraft into china the other crew was going to bring it back and i guessed at uh six all together in fact they put an extra person on board just to give them that flexibility uh, and that's uh, i think a very sensible idea so that if uh, somebody had a problem they wouldn't get stuck there um uh, it, it requires uh, a lot of uh, thought and planning, um, but it, it's a quite achievable. It's, it's not exactly a difficult thing. It's a rare feat for them, but uh, other airlines do it all day, every day. It's just unusual, perhaps, for that airline to go that far and in that direction. Well, very good. Um, ah, I wish that uh, Rick were here. Because he asks a final quick question to Miami Rick about um, flying the 747. So, Oh, I can answer that. Okay. So here, um, Miami Captain Nick. Uh, they say, uh, let's see, 
As they say, it goes with we should never meet our idols, but you managed to do that by flying the 747. Well, was the experience in line with your expectations? Is no, she no, really? it was terrible. It was horrible. <laughs> Is she a really I nice machine to fly? It was going to be wonderful. It was, oh, such a disappointment. It's <laughs> oh, I'm very, sorry very to hear sad. that. That's Why kinda... is it that I feel like I could have just predicted this <laughs> answer word for word verbatim? <laughs> so I, can't, I can't know why you say that, Steph. That's dreadful. <laughs> it's true. Well, I'm glad that you were here to answer that, Miami, well, Miami Rick. Um, <laughs> But, Shall we save that for Rick for the next show that he's yeah I guess in attendance can, for? Looks, well, looks like, I don't know. I, I, feel I think like he did a good job. Pretty, of it was a good try, yeah. Nick. It was a good yeah. try. Thanks. It, it was believable. <laughs> anyway, uh, Glaucus uh, G Man goes on. The dream of flying is still there. However, getting further away with this crisis, I'm trying to line a few things up to resume my training, but it's not easy with the current scenario. Let's hope we can talk about COVID-19 soon as a thing of the past and resume our normal lives. Thank you for the excellent show. Your company is really appreciated on my long weekly commute. Clear skies, unlimited visibility, and God bless. Cheers, Glaucus. Again. Sorry. (laughs) Was that some kind of an editorial comment about his feedback? Oh, I he just said, God bless you. Oh, I see. Okay. Very clever. Yeah, hopefully just a temporary pause and things. Right. Oh, geez, yeah. You know, my heart really goes out to everyone uh, who we have in the past encouraged to, um, you know, move into our industry uh, because, you know, it's one of the most wonderful things in the world to do. And the fact that that advice uh, now is is proving to be disastrous for some folk uh, really hurts me. It really does. Yeah, It bothers bothers me even more because... uh, I've been very instrumental in a lot of people deciding to move. Well, to be to be fair, though, I think that when we've given this advice, uh, we've always said, uh, you know, this is and before the pandemic. These are unprecedented times as far as people getting in into this world of professional flying. Uh, but we always threw out a caveat, like you know, if unless something happens like nine eleven or whatever, you know, yeah. Uh, as, as I would say, a worldwide uh, occurrence of some type of right, some something, type of something catastrophic, catastrophic, and something you can't foresee. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, if if we just advise someone to open a pub or restaurant, uh, we'd be saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, Surprisingly, a restaurant just opened down the street from me, and they've been doing great business with their takeout and to go orders. So there you go. Well, yeah, good silver for lining, that. I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it, it, this is a bump in the road. It's a rather large bump in the road. And I, I think we're all confident that, you know, it'll take some time, but it, we will recover from it and things will be better. So, yeah. All right. Um, item number three. Oh, more feedback, audio feedback. This is from Captain Cool. And we're not kidding. His name is really K-O-O-L, Captain Will Cool. And he sent us some audio feedback. Here we go. Greetings, APG crew and community. This is Captain Cool here. Just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about a podcast that my friend Hunter Bevis has been doing. It's called Time in Flight, and he started it a couple years ago when he was a flight instructor. And he just talks to different people to get their stories and hear about their different paths in aviation. Anyway, he interviewed me recently, and that episode, episode 24, is available now. And it's uh, only 33 minutes, and we talk about my path in aviation and a little bit about coronavirus and 
how to survive a downturn and uh, things like that. So if anyone's interested, feel free to listen, and I hope everyone stays happy and healthy and safe. Thanks. Take care. All right. So thank you, Will, for alerting us to the fact that you were an interview guest on the Time in Flight podcast, an aviation adventure podcast about flight instruction and beyond. And beyond! And we'll have a link to the actual show in the show notes. All right. Excellent. Continue. Yeah, I have not, I did not know about that podcast, so it seems relatively new, perhaps. I think it episodes? might be. I don't realize so they're on episode 24, anymore. so... I think it must have been around for a little bit, and uh, I'm like you, Steph. I there are so many new, great podcasts out there that um, I'm just not catching them all. So it's great to hear that the aviation podcast community is growing, though, isn't it? Yeah, marvelous. Absolutely. That's because they're tired of listening to us. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm only kidding, really. Sort of. I believe Andrew was with us in the chat room on our last show. And during the show, he asked a question and Liz went ahead and wrote it down or copied it or whatever and uh, made it into a uh, piece of feedback here. And the question was, is the COVID-19 pandemic the end of the 747 and A380s as passenger planes, the end of the four engines in all fleets? What say you, Dr. Steph? I say if it's not the end end, it's Definitely the beginning of the end, which probably actually started some time ago. Um, I think there's a few airlines that are going to continue because they're more heavily invested in that particular type of aircraft. I'm thinking of like Emirates with their A380s. Um, gosh, I don't know about the 7-4, to be honest. That's that's probably not looking good for a lot of the operators that are still flying the 747. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't think their time is long with us at least as passenger as passenger aircraft yeah. yeah i mean the 747 i think will be flying for a very long time as a cargo aircraft mm-hmm. i don't know what the fate of the a380 will will be well i i actually i've heard uh some news articles suggesting that uh, airbus are going to start freighting up some a380s i did see so that i i wasn't yeah. sure about the definitiveness of that uh and uh there's there's a chance that those airframes they're they're valuable Mm -hmm. will be able to complement the uh 747-8 which is a pretty impressive freighter and of course the many 400-400 freighters around uh and uh contribute because i think uh if airlines can't move passengers around they're very happy to move freight around i just don't know how they'll handle uh Putting freight on that second deck. Uh, that's I don't think they have to. I think they can probably put probably uh, the very heavy the... stuff on the bottom deck mm-hmm. and the lighter stuff on the top deck. A lot of freight gets bought out um, so that the airframe isn't big enough. It's not the weight that's the problem. And I think if you pick and choose your your customers who want to move stuff, uh, helium balloons, that's always a, a, a favorite uh, <laughs> for freight. <laughs> Very light. Yeah. It's like you hardly have anything at all on. on You almost don't even need to start the engines for that. You just cram it up helium balloons in there and the thing will, you know, lift off the ground by itself. Everyone hopefully nobody smokes. (laughs) And you'd be so surprised (laughs) to how many people how many people are out there flying around helium balloons. It's amazing. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, no, you're quite <laughs> right, Dave. Uh, if they're going to need, if they're going to turn it a proper freighter, they'll need to uh, structurally reinforce the uh, the second and third decks, uh, or perhaps strip out the top deck and just make that a bottom deck, and then a huge uh, cargo hold. Yeah. Oh, structurally, does that does good. that deck need to be there structurally for the aircraft, or no? Does anyone know? I don't know. I think if you put enough helium balloons in there, it'll. It doesn't su- matter. It'll support it. No, exactly right. It, it's fine. Oh, the the helium balloons again. <laughs> well, so I think, um, yeah, sure enough. Uh, not in our current show folder, but in our feedback folder, there is an article uh, from flightglobal.com uh, about this actual subject with the A380. It finally lands a freighter roll with LHT modification. I guess LHT, is that for the Lufthansa technique? No, it stands for light helium technology. Oh, okay, the helium again. (laughs) Uh, Lufthansa technique is working on a conversion for the Airbus A380 as part of its effort to offer temporary passenger-to-cargo modification services. Temporary passenger-to-cargo modification services. So maybe they're not talking about doing this permanently, although there is a uh, image here in the article that uh, shows the A380F and does not have windows. So perhaps this is a possibility as well. Anyway, um, we'll go ahead and either talk about it again on the next episode, or I'll just put this in the show notes for this particular piece of feedback. So there we go. Um, now getting back to the current show. So Andrew, um, yeah, as, as Steph said, I think that the, demise of four engine passenger airliners uh, was already beginning before the pandemic. And I think that this is just accelerating it. Yeah. And you can probably throw in the three thirty. I mean, three forty into that equation as well. Yeah. Guess what yeah, I saw? Yeah, I, I think three forty is gone. Although it has been picked up by a couple of African operators, uh, but yeah, it, it's gone. Landing at um, Nashville. Um, day before yesterday, I saw a beautiful airplane landing, um, a 727 freighter. And so that thing's mm. been going strong for quite some time. And, and, you know, wow. as you said, the, uh, 747 freighters will most likely be around for quite a long time as well, but yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, item five, Ollie writes us, he says, dear APG guys and girls, this is my first feedback. Ollie, what's taken you so long? As I'm almost a newcomer to this brilliant podcast. Brilliant! Having been listening to it only since October last year, I'm retired Brazilian, I am a retired Brazilian Navy helicopter pilot, and I'm currently working towards my airplane commercial pilot license. Your podcast brings us listeners a lot of tips, insights, and incentives for those longing to join the world of airline flying, and also much joy and fun for enthusiasts and geeks who can rely on at least 50% accuracy in technical matters. On APG 422, Pilot Pip, is this the correct spelling? Yes. Although we yeah. spell him. Well, I was going to say T-W-A-T, but. <laughs> I was going to say we have other different spelling. alternative spellings as well. <laughs> uh, anyway, this guy, uh, Pip, sent a feedback on the com- conversation about simulators, mentioning that he had to go on landing his airplane on an aircraft, or he had to go 
uh, at landing his airplane on an aircraft carrier in a bay somewhere in South America, probably Rio de Janeiro. Although our Navy indeed had an aircraft carrier that sometimes stayed at anchor in Rio, I wonder if maybe he has also tried to land at the city center airport there, Santos Dumont Airport, um, at C- that's a Sierra Bravo Romeo Juliet, at sea level by the bay and surrounded by sea. I think it is probably the closest to a carrier landing that airline pilots can get here in Brazil. The biggest planes that operate there nowadays are 737-800s and A320s, and with only 4,300 feet as its longest runway, there is not much room for error. Some planes have indeed fallen off the deck, (laughs) but I cannot recall any fatalities. I send you guys and girls some links for videos of some landings there, and also some pictures, some of them taken from the well-known Sugar Loaf Mountain. The views in the approaches are spectacular. Uh, And those links will be in the show notes. Uh, Talking about falling off decks and simulators, it reminds me of my own sim training for the Lynx helicopter. As we didn't have a simulator in Brazil, we used to send our pilots to train at Royal Navy facilities in Royal Naval Air Station. Oh, Nick, help me with this one. Y-E-O-V-I-L-T-O-N. How do you? Yeovilton. Yeovilton. Yo. Yeovilton. 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 There you go. I should have asked Steph. Um, I wouldn't have known until next time. I was going to put more emphasis on the the beginning word, not be like all the individual vowels. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, I thought you were figuring the those Brits out stuff. I I still need a little help from time to time, Uh, but I pay attention. Well, and see, us Bostonians, I probably would have gotten real close with Nick and how he said it the way we would pronounce. Good man. Yo, Vilton. Yo, Vilton, come over here. <laughs> um, anyway, have you been there, Captain Nick? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, operated out of there on the Phantom, uh, fought their Harriers, shot most of them down. Um, yeah, had good times there. They're a great bunch of people, actually, the Navy. They're, they're like uh, an Air Force without rules, of which uh, I think you, Jeff, will appreciate. They're a bunch of cowboys. <laughs> good. Yeah, you know me. Mr. Cowboy. Yeah, so when you, when you say you shot down a bunch of Harriers, do, do you mean that figuratively or did uh, you? Well, yeah. No, we, uh, I was, last time I operated there, I was doing the uh, qualified weapons instructors course. We did a deployment down there and did a dissimilar air combat against the Sea Harriers down there. I was just wondering if I had to cut that out of the, uh, out of the podcast. No, no, no. Okay. So, no, uh, we, um, in training, we trainingly shot them down. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the instructors would also make good use of the last minutes of the training sessions, but instead of jolly rides, they would throw everything at the crews simultaneously. Whew. In one of those occasions, when returning for a single engine landing at night on a pitching and rolling frigate with no stabilization, I botched the landing and fell astern of the ship. Besides seeing everything red as pip, I verified as the helicopter quickly sank underwater that the SIM database included the ship's propellers, which I got to see slowly turning ahead of me. Amazing. Unbelievable. (laughs) That to be brilliant. (laughs) Those uh, SIM SIM designers uh, probably got a kick out of doing that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which reminds me, uh, when I first climbed into the F-18, Australian F-18 simulator, um, one of the tricks we did at the end of our first mission 
was to uh, be asked to fly directly over the, our base, pull up into the vertical. Uh, uh, it was at night. Uh, and then they froze the sim, and they said, what do you see? And in the stars, directly above the base, the initials of the guys who had gone to McDonnell Douglas, the Australians, um, and uh, set up all the um, uh, similar stuff was spelt out in the stars there, which I thought was oh, quite nice. Ah, little Easter yeah. eggs left all throughout for... <laughs> yeah, 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 there forever. That's cool. Okay, uh, keep up the good work. Blue side up and tailwinds for everyone. Uh, Andre Ali Marche, Mark Marchette, Marche, M A R C E T. He's from Brazil. Yeah, Marchette. I'd have no idea how you would pronounce that in Portuguese. Let's call him. We're just going to call you Ali. Marchette, Marchette, Ali. Marchette. Yes, I'm going with Marchette. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Ali. Look forward to hearing more from you. Um. Item. By the way, when someone tries to throw everything at me in the last few minutes, uh, I take note of where the simulator stop button is that uh, we have behind each pilot, and I just reach down and tap it. <laughs> so that's enough. Yeah, I've had enough now. No more yeah, fun and games, enough. please. Thank no. you. A lot, of time, a lot of times in the sim, you know, we can like put everything on freeze, or usually the instructor does. Okay, let's let's. Put this on freeze and talk about this. <laughs> That's, right. That's, right. Yeah. That's not, yeah. not usually a great sign, is it? I can't tell you how many times I've tried to do that in the airplane. <laughs> like when things start ah, doing really yeah. bad. Okay, let's, let's just uh, reassess. Take a, take a step pause. back and have a think about it for yes. a moment. Put this on freeze and let's talk about it. Hmm. All right. Uh, Shet writes in. This is a funny Shet? one. Chet? Chet. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That could be Shet. It might be, but I think <laughs> yeah, he's I doubt it. Yeah. American. Okay. Chet. Well, you anyway. know what? I need to. Um, well, actually, it's how do you spell chef? C H E F. Yeah. Well, all you do is take the T, change the T, and then you got chef. Yes, that's chef. true. <laughs> that was my thinking. <laughs> so um, this, this is from Chet. And this is also from the New York Post. Michigan pilot gives a literal F U to governor over the coronavirus lockdown. And uh, let me share my screen again with you, fine folks. F U is uh, smoke, well, isn't it? It is. It's it's smoke. Yeah, I that's true. Smoke. That is so true. So he's blowing smoke. Is, here, is let's. That what uh, he's trying to do here. That's so the phrase. Er, so everybody can see in the in the uh, live video. So there we go. Um, so this was near Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, this person was. Uh, so I think what this is actually is this person, uh, since he lives in the Grand Rapids area, I'm assuming. Uh, I think he may have gone to um, uh, Ferris State University, uh, FU, the uh, initials for the uh, the fine university. He must I be an see, alumnus. Mm -hmm. Well, don't forget about the S part. We're going to say. <laughs> I mean, and it's not commonly put into the exactly. initials for the university. Everyone from there knows that. Right. I mean, because they wouldn't say FSU because then they, everybody that's confused State, them with Florida State. Confusing. Yeah. Well, so, don't want to be confused. Clearly, that's uh, that's what that stands for there. The uh, little flight doodle. What do we call it again? Sky doodle? Sky doodle. Yeah. So I thought it was pretty funny. Very humorous. I have to look at a map of Michigan. How close is Lansing to Grand Rapids? Is that where the arrow Not, is pointing there? Uh, oh, 
Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that I'm is. I'm just curious. Might not be being flint. a local, uh, does that actually point at? Uh, yeah, it's a government? pointer. Yeah. What did you think that was? <laughs> no, I, I just. Does it actually is it accurately pointing at where the governor lives? I, I think well, that I think why that I'm is trying Lansing. to see if that's where Lansing actually is. My, I, I think my you could, I think you could be right. I think that might knowledge be of where towns are in Michigan is uh, not the greatest. Let me look at a map real quick. Sue uh, Comanche Sue says yes. Arrow points to Lansing. Arrow points right uh, to Lansing. Okay. Right at the. I was just happy capital. that I got the capital city of Michigan. Yeah, I'm right. impressed. Very good. We, that deserves. Wow. Wow, you got a lot of good stuff there. Thank yeah. you, Chet, for sending that in. Um, I've, I've now verified it. Yep, I'm looking at the uh, highway system around Lansing. It is indeed. Good. Well, well, you got at 100% now. At least you got that bit right. <laughs> uh, item number seven, David. Uh, says, good morning, Jeff and the rest of the crew at APG. I have just watched a video on YouTube made by a UK news channel about the RAF's quick reaction alert cruise. I found it very interesting and I'm sure we'll probably be back. We'll bring back a few memories for Captain Nick retired for when he was in the RAF many moons ago. I hope you are all keeping yourselves safe from this nasty little virus and back flying again in the near future. Regards and David and let's see here. I have a little bit of a video. I'll just play a little snippet of it. And just to kind of pique your interest perhaps of this um, series on UK TV. The Eurofighter Typhoon, one of the most advanced fighter jets in the world armed and ready. The pilots set to scramble at a moment's notice. They're, they're running away because somebody left yeah. a pot in the stove <laughs> or something. I don't know. Somebody, <laughs> somebody farted. Yeah, somebody, somebody left a bomb in the bathroom. Now, yeah. if I want to know, if they're the most advanced QRA in the world, I want to know why they don't have uh, a Thunderbirds thing where they go and stand under their picture and they get turned around and down a slide oh, and that then is so go cool. shush straight yeah. into the cockpit. Yeah, Good what point. is this? Opening the door and running. Uh, no, I'm sorry. So, That's what we yeah, used they, to do. They said back it's in a very the, dramatic music. They did. Yeah, that's true. But Actually, I'm with Nick. I'd shoot. rather see the Thunderbirds, hear the Thunderbirds music and see that, see that yeah. system. Yeah, down a shoot. Exactly right. I don't remember us having dramatic music. It was, <laughs> and it was in your head. Let's bring your money, own music. It was the 70s, so you know, <laughs> things have improved since then. That's the um, CIS, the cockpit injection system, I think. I don't know. Oh, very good, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched the video. Actually, I... Uh, you know, it's a lovely, classic, uh, you know, promotion of uh, one of the jobs of the Royal Air Force. But actually, it did touch on a quite an interesting thing, which wasn't a factor when uh, I was around, and that's the decision-making process about shooting down a civilian airliner. And that kind of uh, brings it from a publicity video into something that requires a little bit of thought you know uh, if you're put you're in a peacetime air force effectively we're not a, particularly at war with anyone a few little skirmishes going on 
but the modern world uh, has some very difficult things for the current pilots to have to deal with. And it's not the same as when I was around. I would not have liked to have had to been put in that situation. Yeah. Different world. Yeah. Very different world. All right. Well, if you want to check out that show, uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Thank you, David, for sending it in. And guess what time it is? It is time for Plain Tales. Yes. This week's yes. installment of the Plain Tales. Ooh. And as uh, Nick mentioned earlier in the show, this is part one of a four part series, and it is awesome. So let's uh, have a listen. The Pilots Plain Tales. The Ian Palmer Interviews, Part 1. Ian, it's uh, an absolute delight to uh, see you again, and thank you very much indeed for uh, allowing us to interview you. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to see you again, Nick. And uh, it's just going to be a fascinating series of interviews, so I think we should kick off. Now, you have had a by any measure, a fascinating uh, life and career, various careers. So why don't we start off right at the beginning. Tell me about your early life and how you got into music. Yeah, well, I think I was always destined to get into music. I come from a musical family. Uh, I have two uncles who are drummers, uh, two very different styles, actually. Uh, my dad's, uh, my late father's middle brother, Carl was a is, a is a rock drummer. It's quite well known. He played with the band Emerson, Lake and Palmer and uh, the band Asia afterwards. And my dad's youngest brother, so my youngest uncle, is Steve, who Steve Palmer, who's a fantastic jazz drummer. So um, from a very young age, my family, certainly on my father's side, have been very involved with music. So it's always something that um, I've been around from a very, very young age. You obviously followed them into uh, the same career. You became a drummer. How did that happen? I, um, as I say, I was always around music. I've always had a passion for music. I got to the, I remember very specifically, actually, I got to the age of nine. And this one Christmas, my dad had a VHS video recording of Emerson, Lake and Palmer playing at the Montreal Olympic Stadium. And this was a big concert that they performed with a big orchestra. It was very, uh, it was a huge event. And in fact, the afternoon sound check of that event, they recorded the video for the single Fanfare for the Common Man, which was a single which Emerson, Lake and Palmer released. So I remember watching this v VHS video and I remember watching Carl play this huge drum solo and I was like, wow, dad, that's what I want to do. And I, that was a moment for me where I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a drummer and follow in the footsteps of my Uncle Carl and of course my Uncle Steve. Well, you obviously had some talent because uh, that went very well. Tell me about your early life uh, as a drummer. Well, Steve, um, Carl was always touring the world. Steve lived quite close to us. So Steve was fantastic because he used to come over and give me drum lessons and really sort of nurtured any 
God-given talent at a, at a, at a young age. Um, but we always realized, uh, my dad was very sort of, this is what you're going to do for a career, son. We need to make sure, give you every opportunity to be um, as good as you can possibly be. So I had a fantastic, uh, some fantastic teachers in the early days. Um, I remember going off to New York and uh, flying on this big airplane to New York. And, uh, and I was really impressed with the airplane at the time as well. Um, but to take lessons with uh, a fantastic drum who um, left us around about 10 years ago, but uh, some of the listeners as viewers may know of him. And his name is Joe Morello, who for me is probably one of the finest technical drum or finest technicians on the drum set uh, of all time. He had uh, fantastic hands and he was the drummer with the Dave Brubeck Quartet, actually. And he recorded that famous uh, jazz single, which I think was one of the only jazz uh, pieces to make it into the uh, charts uh, with a drum solo, Take Five. Oh, oh yes, I, I love that piece of music. It's great. But yeah, so I studied with Joe. Um, I also had the opportunity to play... We, we always thought that, I guess, the perception was that to be a jazz drummer gave you the tools to play all different types of music. So at a very young age, I joined an orchestra in in the Birmingham area, which was um, at the time, well, it still is, is um, really quite highly regarded. It's the, the, the orchestra is called the Midlands Youth Jazz Orchestra, and the name really belies what the organisation is all about. Because at a very young age, I joined this orchestra and had the opportunity to tour in the United States. We went to Russia and toured extensively throughout Europe, backing various artists. And from that group, actually, um, are a lot of my friends today who have gone on to become session musicians in London and indeed around the world. So it was a really good breeding ground for uh, the sort of the UK session scene, if you like. That's excellent. It opened doors mm. for you, for sure. No, it really did. What was it like then as uh, you began to get a bit older and um, you felt like branching out on your own? What did you end up doing? Yeah. Well, I got to the, uh, I got to the age of um, just before uh, sixth form at school and uh, realised that, well, of course, I wanted a career in, uh, in music. So my education, to be brutally honest, suffered. And so I put that to one side, but I moved to London expecting the pavements to be lined with gold. This was me going to London to make my mark. Well, they, they weren't. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I arrived in London, uh, a young man, um, full of confidence that uh, this was it. This was where I'm, this is what I was here to do, make my mark on the London scene. And, you know, to a certain extent, it went well. But yeah. there were some huge pitfalls and uh, waiting for me there and some you know, massive hurdles uh, which would manifest themselves as we carried on, actually. What kind of music on who were you playing with at that time? Well, I had a... Um, I was, as I said, my background was in jazz, although in recent times, you know, I play all styles of music. You know, I class myself as a drummer, not a jazz drummer. But effectively, my background then was in playing jazz music. And I had a quintet, which we used to, which was a very contemporary jazz quintet featuring some fantastic musicians. There was the um, trumpet player who's he's now a, a 
a BBC broadcaster, um, Guy Barker on trumpet, um, Dave O'Higgins on tenor saxophone, a fantastic pianist called Dave Newton, and the probably will recognize the name Dankworth, um, John Dankworth's son, Alec Dankworth, on acoustic bass. And we had the opportunity to play at some lots of different jazz clubs. We did some TV appearances and uh, did, we recorded at um, the fabulous Ronnie Scott's where I played uh, on and off during my time in London, which was a great meeting place for musicians and a great place to network. Yeah, uh, you must have met some pretty well-established and famous people, particularly if you were playing at Ronnie Scott's. You're going to drop a few names for us? Well, I did. I had the opportunity to, um, certainly in, in the jazz circles, was, was, was amazing. I had the opportunity. If I remember one experience, um, I was called to stand in, the drummer, um, on this run of gigs at Ronnie Scott's got sick. And I had the opportunity to play with um, Buddy Greco, who was famous you know, in the 60s. And um, his, one of his claims to fame was he was very, very close with the great drummer Buddy Rich. And um, he had a fearsome reputation. And I remember going along to play this um, evening concert, just standing in with Buddy Greco. And it was a real learning experience, actually, because everyone said, oh, he's, he's got a terrible temper. And, uh, you know, and I was getting really worried about this. <laughs> and I showed up on the gig. And it's one of those experiences where actually he was a real gentleman. He was a really lovely person. And I thought, wow, you know, don't be judgmental. Don't be prejudiced towards this. This was a fantastic experience. And the concert went really well. So, um, so that was one memorable experience. But, oh, there were lots of different people um, around that time. I even, uh, you, you may know of, um, in a slightly different area, um, she's, she's quite well known for being on cruise ships um, with Jane McDonald. Uh, where as soon as she sort of rose to fame with these reality TV programs around, that was sort of the birth of reality TV. I did, uh, I was on a, a Christmas DVD with Jane playing with a big orchestra and we had a really lovely uh, experience there touring. We played one night to a celebrity audience, which was on uh, BBC at uh, the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, which was amazing. Oh, wow, that must have been an experience. Yeah, amazing. There was the lovely uh, Barbara Windsor uh, was there, and there's lots of sort of the TV, um, the morning TV presenters at that moment. So yeah, it was really, really good. And then I sort of branched out more into the pop side of things and had friends who were involved in that, and uh, so there were quite a few experiences there. Um, so it really was a... Um, it kind of leads nicely on to um, one of the hurdles that I suffered around that time. Yeah, that's, that's true. You were a very young man at this point still and away from your parents. I was away from my parents. I was 17, 18 years old. Um, you know, they described me as being quite precocious, I think was the expression. Um, and yeah, I was very, very very full of very full of myself very high on confidence but uh one of the problems that i did well one of the things i discovered there um, which always made me feel better was alcohol that was the thing which really got me and i would be in my little um flat there i would be drinking with friends um but i realized that actually i didn't just like this uh I didn't just like this alcohol. I really loved it to the point where I actually couldn't stop drinking. So it was really quite a problem for me. 
Did you recognise the problem yourself? No, no, I, I didn't. And this is one of the reasons now why you know, I'm, a lot of the my CV and everything is on my website, but there's a lot of the things now I kind of struggle to remember certain things that happened in London around that time um, because I spent most of my time um, not on this planet, you know, drinking. So, yeah, I, re- I didn't realise it was so much a problem because I think around that time, certainly in the music industry, um, it was a, there was a huge drinking culture, so it was commonplace to drink. Um, I will say, uh, I know we'll go on to talk about it, but I will say that actually that drinking culture seems to have um, dissipated somewhat now uh, in the in the music world. It's a far more professional environment. But at that time, yeah, I was um, uh, probably a better drinker than I was drummer. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's an interesting thing. Now, you may not have noticed it, but I gather some of your older friends uh, spotted it. Yeah, I had a. Um, so my father was really, you know, trusting. I know friends would say to my mum and dad, "How's Ian doing? Oh, he's doing fantastic. He's doing this. He's doing that. Um, you know, he's doing this TV performance. You can catch him doing this, catch him doing that." And they were really proud. And my dad's, you know, very was was a very proud person and um it came as a total shock when a friend rang my father up and said i think ian's got a problem and they were like right and they i think they were must have been in denial um because at the time you know i was drinking so much i will say that i had at one point and there was no need financially for me to do this but i had a um i had a had a really lovely postcode as well um, and that postcode where I was living for about 10 days was um, W1D oh. in the West End of London. Yep. And it was a doorway of Marks and Spencers. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Mm. You slept in the doorway of Marks and Spencers? Yeah, I had 10 days there where I thought I fell in with a certain crowd and I thought this was really cool. And there was certain musicians who had done some pretty wacky things around that time. And I actually thought, you know, the more kind of more outrageous I was, in a way, made me more rock and roll. And at that time, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I, you know, I didn't have any, so I was effectively homeless is what uh, was what the problem was and they always say about alcohol that it will take everything it will take those people away around you and it'll eventually take your life and it started to do that wow how, how did the realization come to you that you needed to do something um well the realization came in the form of my father coming uh, along and finding me and saying son you need to come. You need to come back home. This music is is not working. This musical career is really not working out for you. Um, you need to consider uh, a different career. I think. Um, and he was right to a certain extent. Music wasn't working for me. But ultimately, as I came to realise, the problem was between my ears. So matter no matter where I went to another career. You know, I could have become a doctor. I could have become anything, potentially. But the problem would never have gone away, as was proven. That's interesting. But you did try a a different career. And Mm. this was an attempt to break the cycle, as it were. Uh, What happened? How did you Mm. move on? So 
My uncle Steve, so my dad's youngest brother, had a very close friend who was um, an airline pilot who who we both know actually, who um, worked for a long haul airline in the UK. And I had the opportunity then at the end of um, to try and get away from music. And this was pre 9 11, 2001. I had the opportunity to sit on the jump seat and this was on a, an old Boeing 747-200, uh, the flight engineer. And I remember at that time sitting on the jump seat, looking down from the side window behind my friend who was the uh, captain on this aircraft and um, thinking, are we moving? And just remember just the airplane gently rolling away. And I just remember all of the, as I thought at the time, the pomp and ceremony with getting this big, you know, hundreds of tons worth of airplane into the air. And that whole thing, I just thought, wow, that was just so impressive. Um, But what I will say is that what is evident with, the condition that we'll talk about um, was that the ego played a big part of it. And in music, I had a desire to be on stage. So when I saw my friend as the captain of this big aeroplane, I, you know, I was really oblivious to the amount of work that went on for him to become the captain of this aeroplane and what exactly was involved with it all I saw was somebody getting lots of adulation and being in charge and the ego that surrounds that and I thought yeah that'd be kind of cool wouldn't it to be the captain of a big aeroplane but actually the more I thought about it and the more I'd spoken to my friend about it the more fascinated I became with the whole experience I had the opportunity to go to I remember to go to Boston and experience a night stop in Boston and experience going to uh, Barbados so that was uh, really really wonderful and he's very very generous my friend and uh, he's still flying today and uh, you know, I'll be forever grateful and I will say he's um, he's a very fine bass player and that's how our family knew him because my uncle Steve used to play on cruise ships in a band with uh, with my friends so it was uh, that's how I got into aviation that's what really sort of lit that spark if you like a bit like seeing the video of my uncle Carl um, in 19, uh, playing at the Montreal Olympic Stadium with Emerson Lake and Palmer that was the, the, the moment for me um, and I think I've always been quite lucky because I've always known what I've wanted to do you know my brother's totally different to me he's never really known what he wanted to do with his life but I've always known for me I was always be one of the things I do have I have the ability to be quite decisive so I knew that I wanted to do drumming and then have an experience on the flight deck of that Boeing 747-200 really cemented to me that feeling that yes this is what I want to do. Well, that's brilliant, and thank you, Ian. We'll move on to discussing your career in aviation uh, when we get together uh, next week. Brilliant. Thanks, Nick. Nice. Love that music. I'm glad you do. You'll never guess where it comes from. From Ian Palmer, perhaps? Yeah, he he kindly gave us permission to use this copyrighted music. It's from the latest Tomb Raider game. Oh. uh, And uh, he did uh, all drumming for that uh, in uh, lots of different uh, areas. So, And that's just one of the pieces from that game. 
Fantastic. Wow. Uh, and then did I understand this correctly? His, um, one of his uncles is the Palmer from Emerson Lake and Palmer. You understand that entirely correctly. Wow. Yes. And then oh. played for, um, Oh, the other band you mentioned. Yes. Dave Brubeck uh, Quartet. Carl with the two uh, great drummers from his family. Yeah. Uh, his father was a musician as well uh, on the guitar, I gather. Um, and Ian has followed on and is a, a well-known session drummer uh, and um, in a professionally employed um, uh, hmm. in a number of areas. I'm going to uh, um, pass gonna find out Oh, go ahead. That. Sorry, I was going to say I was going to pass uh, pass this plain tale along to uh, my brother, who's also a avid drummer. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. And Ian does a lot of uh, online stuff, uh, uh, teaching, and uh, also just you know drumming for fun. He he's, he's obviously a very capable musician, mm-hmm. uh, a man in many areas. But uh, as, as we all discover, he has this um, this problem, uh, and it, it's very hard to define. Uh, People who become addicted to substances uh, often have a, a ruined life. And Ian very nearly went that way. Hmm. But luckily, through the help of friends and his own determination, he overcame it. And this story has only just started. It's it's a fascinating uh, interview. And I just take my hat off to Ian because it must be the hardest thing in the world to have had something that society looks down on, and particularly if you're holding down uh, such an important job as uh, an airline pilot, um, and for him to be so open, I found really remarkable and a testament to his character uh, and the way he has obviously changed over the years. Uh, and I, I really appreciate the fact that he was happy enough to uh, chat to me uh, in, you know, pretty graphic detail, uh, spending uh, nights, uh, you know, night after night, never going home in the doorway of shops in uh, London, uh, you know, uh, Hmm. when the alcohol got the best of him, uh, I find remarkable. So um, I was really riveted by this one. and I can't wait to hear the, uh, the next few parts to come. Yeah. Uh, of course, does this with an ulterior motive, and it's it's nothing uh, it's nothing sinister. Uh, he understands that uh, he's not the only pilot. In oh, Ireland sure. It, it can be very helpful for others to to hear his journey. And he would like, uh, or he's very willing for me to say that uh, if there are any pilots out there who uh, would like to perhaps chat to him personally, uh, write to him personally, uh, who might feel that they're close to being in his situation. He's very happy for me to give his email address. And uh, if uh, if there's anyone out there who feels that they're in a position where they would like to, then uh, just drop in a note, uh, in at ianpalmer.com, and that'll be in the show notes. Uh, and, uh, you know, perhaps some good can come of uh, this pointer. Yeah. Actually, he has a, uh, that's his website as well. I came across that while you were uh, chatting in the interview and was looking through some of the stuff he has there. It's good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's a remarkable man. So I, I hope you uh, enjoy the next three. Uh, I certainly 
uh, had a wonderful time. And I, uh, the, the important thing was when we first met, uh, as I didn't know anything about Ian's background. And one of the first things he did was to take me one side and say, look, this is the person I am. These are the problems I've had in the past. And um, part of uh, my continuing recovery from alcoholism is to be absolutely open and frank with you about what's happened in my life. And it's an interesting thing for that to happen as the captain of an airplane. But I instantly realized that it was such a sincere uh, man in his wish to uh, continue to defeat this problem that afflicts him. Uh, and, uh, you know, we became good friends then. I really enjoyed flying with him. Very professional man. And uh, I hope we can stay friends for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's that lovely. Yeah. Great. I can't wait for the next three. And uh, yeah. we're, we're very blessed that uh, Ian um, allowed you to interview him. And he was so open, transparent about this. Yeah, I, I think, uh, and if even if just one pilot seeks assistance, seeks help, uh, you know, f because he thinks he might have a problem. Oh, completely worth it then, yeah. yeah. That's exactly what I would like to have. This is neither here nor there, but I was enjoying that plane tale, and I put my uh, my uh, speakers on for the computer and took my headphones out, and I have one stuck in my hair now, and I can't. <laughs> so you so can't don't don't a, mind a me while speaker? I got a loud yeah. speaker in your head. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. So she can't leave. Uh, She's tied to a computer. And I really I I really needed that, you know, usual bathroom break there. And I did not I for forwent the bathroom break to listen to the story and oh I, I think I got it. There we go. All, All right. right. Good uh, job. Oh took a took a nice hair along with it there too. Oh no. Oops. That's all right, I've got plenty of them. All right. Um, let's move on now to, uh, again, thank you, Ian, and uh, look forward to hearing the, the rest of these. Oh, Lane helped me out. Asia was the other band that was. Oh, yeah. Yes, I know. I was exactly like, right. what? Yep. That's the other band who? Yeah. Yep. Amazing. All right. Um, we have some audio feedback. Uh, this show is full of it. <laughs> audio feedback, that is. <laughs> full of what? <laughs> A lot. Of, of it. A lot. And uh, this gentleman is. Um, uh, how do you pronounce the uh, PIP um, pilot pipe peep peep <laughs> pilot pip. Of course, we all know him as the host of the uh, plane safety podcast. And he sent us in some audio feedback. Let's hear his stream of consciousness. Hello, everybody. Pip here just out and about trying to uh, work off some of the, my massively increased uh, beer intake for these last six weeks. Terrible, really. Anyway, just trying to burn off some calories here. Uh, listen, I've got a question for you. I I'm rather hoping Rick is on the uh, show because I'd quite like to hear his thoughts on this. And it's a question about seniority. At my airline and at most other airlines, I'm curious to hear what happens at yours. If, uh, if you have a pilot, let's say he's been in the company a few years, he's got a little bit of seniority, and then he leaves the company. He, uh, he resigns and he goes elsewhere. And then some years later, let's say three-ish, four years later, he decides to come back to your company. Does he come back with his original seniority? Now, I'm guessing 
that the answer would be no. Certainly at my outfit, if someone leaves and comes back, then they'll start at the bottom of the seniority pile. Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing it's the same at yours. So perhaps you can just answer that question. And then the second part of that question is this. How is it, and God bless him, I love him dearly, but how is it that Rick has come back into the Acme seniority list at the same level at that which he left? I think there's something very dodgy going on there. And if I was Nick or Dana, I'd be writing a very strongly worded letter to my APG union rep. It seems like there's some uh, some dodgy deals going on there at the uh, upper levels of APG management. Maybe some brown envelopes full of cash being exchanged under table somewhere. Not quite sure how that works. Anyway, hoping everyone is well and looking forward to better times ahead where we can all meet up and give each other a big sloppy BFF podcast hug. See you later. I don't know what he's talking about. I mean, the the first thing there is that we don't have a union. <laughs> Jeff, you could just slide those over to me. I, I, I have a union. I'm the one that needs them the most. I'll take it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Wrong> side. <laughs> so, HR's getting a bonus. Now, is that an HR? <laughs> what? So I'm thinking to myself as we're playing this, ah, shoot, I should have waited until Rick was back uh, or with us. Uh, so I might have to play that again because it's kind of entertaining. Um, yeah, kind of. But but I will say this. <laughs> Damned with fate. I, I will say this that uh, if if you leave on a an authorized leave of absence, you absolutely do at least here in the U.S. accrue seniority while you're gone for vacation and bidding and all that kind of stuff. Now, right, who authorizes absence? Well, I did. As far as yeah, you know, HR actually didn't have uh, anything to do with that. I'll I, need to see written evidence. Thank you very much. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we can produce some documents <laughs> about a week or so. We'll produce something. We for need you. a paper trail. <laughs> and if, if we're going based on that, Jeff, then I would have to say that I have the most seniority because I was the first. But you were not actually co-host. an official uh, co host. Yeah, I'm going to quibble with that. That was you're just a guest, a, not a co host. That was just a guest. Ah, right. I tried. Yeah. Nice try. He keeps trying, but yeah, it's not yeah. working. Well, he, he's a trier. But now, honestly, but then let's, again, I was Tony then, so yeah. Let's think. Yeah, really yeah so that was Tony. Right. He didn't. That was Tony. That was a completely different yeah, person. Different yeah, person. you misrepresented yourself. I'd say I sure did. So, yeah. so any contract, even if it was drawn up, is null and void at that point. I don't know. There are no contracts here, by the way. That's true. Uh, second now, thing, are I'm you going to start saying that uh, I was only invited to the, to the show because you were under the influence, so you were drugged at the time? That, is that the, what you're you could saying? make a you could make a case for that. Actually, well, I don't want to make a case for that, okay. but I'm just worried HR might. <laughs> they hey, might. I was, I was there. I witnessed the events as they unfolded. But let's let's think of the practicality <laughs> of all this. What would it actually mean to have any seniority with this group of people? <laughs> well, I I'd be on the no, top top nothing. row. Okay, well, I'd be happy to to reside on the bottom row. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes you happy, and then we'll pick no, you for the first time. No, it wouldn't make me happy at all, because then I'll have to <laughs> then have you'd have to do a lot of the work. Button, yeah, the bat button. <laughs> He's just a, he just, he, he just took himself out in midstream, <laughs> in mid-sentence. <laughs> Wait, I didn't do that to re- right. reorder his seniority Oh, it was there. Dana that was doing that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, folks, again, if you're listening to the audio, you're going, what? What the heck is going on here? But the video is going crazy. Now now we get it right. Okay.
Now I'm, oh, there I'm, we go. I'm ruining my decision to allow everybody super hosting <laughs> privileges. We're having fun with it. Stop. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, nobody has any seniority here. Doesn't matter. Well, I think Jeff might. We, we, we know it's the best yeah. looks, though. Well, I'm the best yeah, mustache. I'm you're, ta- you're referring to yourself, Dana? No. No, doctor. Oh, well, Liz. <laughs> Liz, of course. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah Liz has she's, the ultimate. She's, she's bachelor. She doesn't want to show her beautiful face. So that's the real reason why Liz doesn't want to present herself in the, um, in the video because she knows that her stunningly good look- looks would just overshadow it's, all of us and no nobody comparison. would yeah. be able to take their eyes off. We're the so talent, again. aren't we? We have the talent, but Liz, Liz, Liz <laughs> would pick up the show and be all done. Yeah, when the producer is nicer than the talent, that's becomes ah, a problem. That is. Well, that's that's actually a very true statement, Nick. <laughs> mm. oh, okay. Well, that was fun. See what you've done here, Pip. Yeah, thanks, Pip. I don't know. I don't know what this was. Well, you know, it's very very unusual for Pip to stir the pot, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, speaking of, let's play this other one he sent in uh, regarding um, something that we talked about on the last episode, I believe. Hi guys, Pip here. I've just got a couple of comments, if I may, on a story you talked about on episode 422. That uh, crazy incident at Moscow with the Emirates A380 almost uh, shoving it into the ground there whilst uh, trying to intercept the uh, ILS. Now, I haven't been to Moscow since I moved on to the Lemon, but in the previous eight years on the Hawker, I went there a lot, an awful lot. I'm pretty familiar. And there's a couple of gotchas there in Moscow and, and across Russia. The first of which, I don't know if this has changed. It might have done. I know they were going to change, but they used to work on QFE. And we were always hyper aware of the, the problems and the, the gotchas involved in that. So QFE flying, you know, an altimeter setting, which is showing you height above the ground rather than sea level. Um, so, you know, if you're used to flying on QNH, you're having to do a calculation and cross check uh, on the chart if you've got the right setting and, you know, with a language barrier, it was often easy to get the, the wrong QFE set. Or there were just so many ways you could cock that up, if you don't mind the expression. So I don't know if uh, if that played a part. We certainly had more than one or two incidences over the years with QNH, QFE, and meters error. I, th- I think they've changed from meters now. I'm not sure. Uh, and the other thing, which you kind of you mentioned, why didn't they just look out the window and notice how low they were? Well, actually, they do. It's standard there. They do bring you in very low. You're typically capturing the glide slope at about 12, 1,500 feet uh, above the ground. So you are pretty low compared to a, a standard uh, ILS. So, And that always made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when you look out the window uh, and just see how low you are to the ground. You know, it seems, it feels like your, your speed across the ground is, is much greater because you're that much closer to it. Um, anyway, that's just a couple of thoughts, but yeah, quite an unbelievable accident and, uh, Lucky not to have been something uh, much, much more serious. Anyway, take care, y'all. Okay, yeah. I, I can kind of get, you know, the low altitude for glide slope intercept and that kind of thing. But this is one of those cases where they were starting at a double that height or more and doing a very high rate of descent, uh, you know, capture the glide slope from above procedure. And they got down to less than 500 feet above the ground. I mean, I'm sorry that 
I can't really, <laughs> doesn't sound like a good excuse to me, but I'm glad that you were, you put your two cents worth in to kind yeah. of give us some. I don't know that he was trying firsthand. to make it an excuse for them. Just the, some of the pitfalls that are more common yeah. when you're in places that are not as familiar to you or may have different procedures and, and whatnot that you have to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling that if they had the wrong alimeter setting, the report would have mentioned that. And it, yeah, it didn't. So I think they right. do do still do do they still do yeah. those procedures there, if I remember correctly. But I don't think do it was. Do. A, but it is. A do. <laughs> Quit calling me a do do. <laughs> um, but dum uh, dum. <laughs> I don't know. I think dum dum's better than do do, in my book. Anyway, um, they. Uh, I'd rather be a s head than they. Dum dum. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Whatever you prefer. Whatever you say, babe. All right. Well, let me let me finish the sentence. Hopefully, I can do that. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> anyway, they do do those procedures. They do those procedures, the QFE Still. things, uh, but I don't think it was a factor in this particular instance. <sighs> Finally, got it out. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true oh, that's true okay um thanks pip always enjoy hearing audio feedback from you and we're, we're going to play that that first one that you sent in again when rick's here because it should generate some more good discussion all right and maybe between now and then i'll come up with some kind of a contract <laughs> uh ryan sent this in i've uh, been listening for about a year and a half now but I haven't sent him feedback before. I greatly appreciate the work you all put into the podcast as it is especially nice to have during quarantine. I wanted to tell you a little bit of my story specifically regarding medical cert- certification because it may help some others in their aviation journey. First off, a little background. I'm a junior in high school in the Wichita, Kansas area and a student pilot. Okay, uh, that would make him probably around 16, 17 years old. 16, yeah. Okay. 16 or 17, depending on when his birthday is. A young man. I currently am on a pause from my flight training due to the pandemic, but will be restarting soon. My goal has always been to become a pilot for a major U.S. airline. My dad was a U.S. Air Force uh, B-1 and KC-135 pilot and is now an A-321 first officer for a major U.S. legacy carrier based in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, as you all might call it. Actually, I think um, Colonel Jeff calls it uh, Ajax, right? Ajax, correct. Um, So I've been surrounded by aviation for my entire life. My career path has one significant obstacle, however. I have mild color vision deficiency. 8 to 10% of males have color vision deficiency. Yet there is surprisingly little information for aspiring pilots with this condition available on the Internet. So in the past year, I've started to work on how I will overcome this obstacle. It started with visiting the fantastic Dr. Bruce Chin Chin? Mm -hmm. Uh, near Chicago. Dr. Chin is a highly respected AME uh, with contacts in the FAA and throughout the industry. He specializes in helping pilots with complex medical certification work through the necessary steps and paperwork. So in September of last year, I non-revved up to Chicago and took a plethora of color vision tests. Unfortunately, I did not meet the FAA standard. So I got a first-class medical with the restriction, quote, not valid for night flying or by color signal control. I would have to pursue the alternate path to get an unrestricted first-class medical. I want to emphasize, however, to anyone listening who may have this issue, that there is a path for us. 
I've seen a number of people on the internet saying that there is no hope for color-deficient individuals to become airline pilots, which is very far from the truth. To get my restriction removed, I will take a three-part test. The first part is examining sectional charts. An FAA examiner will sit down with me for about five minutes and ask me to identify various colors on the chart. Secondly, I will go outside the FSDO and get 10 light gun signals from the tower. This is the most difficult part, as you only have one shot to get it right, and even one wrong color means your restriction is permanent. Finally, I will take a short flying test with the examiner to make sure I can identify emergency landing spots, etc. These tests may sound difficult, but with practice, someone like me with mild deficiency can still pursue their dreams. I plan to take the test later this year and am confident in my ability to pass, as I have been practicing extensively. Although I will now have to reconsider my career choice in the next year, depending on how the industry recovers from its current state, this will be an extremely important hurdle to overcome if I do decide to pursue a career as a pilot. I hope by sharing this, I can inspire others who may have color vision problems to not give up on their passion and to at least attempt to remove their restriction. Thanks again for the great show. I'll update I'll update you all later this year once I hopefully have passed the test. Blue skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds to you all. Best regards, Ryan from Wichita, Kansas. You know what? I can't believe that Ryan is in high school. He's, he wrote this so eloquently mm-hmm. and very, very maturely. And I think this information is, is precious. It is. Uh, that, yeah. It's, it's, it's um, amazing that, you know, what you've discovered and, and how you went ahead and uh, shared it with us so that we can share it with the community. Yep. Um, Steph. No, I was going to agree there, and I was also going to sneeze in the same oh, moment. Okay. I had to take a moment to make sure that that was not going to happen. I uh, apologize okay. uh, to Ryan there. Um, no, this is great information. We, you know, we talked about this not too long ago on a recent episode. Um, we get this question quite frequently from folks and from folks all around the, the world. Um, you know, we've kind of gone through it. There's some different procedures in different countries for how you go about overcoming these obstacles, uh, but it does seem that at least for quite uh, a large percentage, I don't know if majority is the correct word to say, but for quite a lot of people who do suffer from a color deficiency or, or limited color vision, uh, there is a pathway to uh, obtain your medical certificates so that you can fly in either some sort of capacity or professional capacity. It, it sounds like a really tough series of tests, actually, doesn't it? I mean, uh, yeah, particularly it usually, the ones that you can only take once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it usually does involve um, those practical tests. So not just, you know, doing the color plates, but get out there in the real world uh, of aviation and show that practically you can identify the yeah. colors uh, no, correctly I, I, all I was the time. just trying to put myself in his position. And think, oh, it's nerve-wracking, well, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, you've got uh, light gun signals coming from the tower. You know, if the sun's behind the tower a bit and, uh, you know, the conditions aren't perfect, um, I wouldn't be absolutely certain I would be able to pass all 10. So, you know, uh, I take my half, Tim, and uh, really appreciate all the information. By the way, I gather his uh, dad is uh, being forced into, well, he's actually volunteered to take partial pay leave from his airline and is now a new listener. So 
great to have you both on board. And I wish you well. I hope that everything works out with those tests and that you manage to crack it, old chap. Good luck. Yes. I have to Absolutely. say, your your father must be very proud of you. Um, I'm proud of you. <laughs> um, because I, I can just, your um, writing oozes your confidence. Uh, as you even said yourself, I'm confident in my ability to pass. So, I mean, that, gosh, that's yeah. just so much goes for so much of that journey. You know, if you have the confidence that you're going to make it through it, you will. You're going, I have no doubt. Uh, and the other thing I want to say is that I'm a stickler for, for uh, people's writing skills grammar yeah, and grammar and everything else i mean this was like perfect and i wanted to cry yeah. while i was reading you call it, it a stickler <laughs> i call you hitler <laughs> it's, it's one step above whatever a stickler is that's for yeah. certain so uh, that is that is very hitler. high praise ryan yes yeah. i mean just it, his writing is so eloquent mm -hmm. that's yeah. the first thing for a 17 16 yeah. 17 year old it's amazing yeah, Absolutely Liz and I, amazing. when we first got this in, uh, we had the same conversation with that. Wow. We were very impressed with uh, his writing skills. So. Very well composed. So yeah. I have Ryan, no no matter, Ryan, no matter what happens in life, if you have this type of uh, perseverance and this ability to uh, express yourself, I think you'll be fine in whatever you have, uh, have to uh, have the opportunity to do. And hopefully it's flying. Yeah, and please do. And when you do take these tests later this year, please get back with us and let us know how they went. When you do do take the test. When you do do. When you do do. When you. Oh man, now I can't speak. <laughs> you do do. I just, uh, just, just. I just don't really know how to say it. <laughs> don't know how to say. It. Okay. I just wish I was as eloquent a pilot. Yes. We all do, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, wish you were. Wish you were. <laughs> You know, we're kidding. Um, uh, let's go to 11. Sean uh, says, uh, this one's probably best for Dana. Dana, with you holding both CFII and ATP certificates and so what? Um, Certified Flight Instructor Instrument Rating, right? And uh, CFII, yes. Uh -huh. And uh, Air, tra Air tra what does the ATP stand for? Air tra no, I'm just Air kidding. Pilot. And that's why I said, so what? No, I'm, and, I'm only kidding. Continue. And having taught both GA, Georgia, and part, no, general aviation, and part 121 classes, what are the differences in, in instructional flying styles between GA and 121? More importantly, what can the two learn from each other? if even what not to do. I remembered a video with Dan Greider on YouTube where he asked GA pilots and airline pilots the same question, and the differences between the two classes of pilots was shocking. The one which stood out most was GA pilots were most worried about overspeeding an aircraft, whereas airline pilots were most concerned with stalling. Cheers. Sean. Yeah, you know, I read your, I read your uh, question, Sean, and it's, it's an amazing question, and there's so many different layers on this and in so many different ways um, this can be answered. But the most important thing, I think, that both, uh, both uh, CFIIs need to teach or CFIs need to teach uh, and ATP uh, pilots need to, to preach is safety. Uh, and you know we were talking about earlier in the in, in the uh, show you know just the uh, the incident with the, the crossing the runway based on just on verbiage right so um, I, I think that 121 uh, pilots are not infallible to making mistakes just like uh, uh, GA 
pilots are not infallible to making mistakes. So that's one of the biggest things that I think, uh, you know, a, a good CFI needs to instill in his students right from the get-go. Um, and we uh, talk about all the time. Uh, now, if you compare compare the uh, um, the differences in instructional flying, I think general aviation is more, more geared towards uh, a uh, – a pilot um, that is going to uh, use it for recreation. So uh, I think it's, uh, you know, again, safety, 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 i.e., for example, uh, always thinking about what your uh, your landing airfield will be because you have a single-engine airplane, right? Whereas a, whereas a, a, a ATP, I'm thinking about that, but I generally, hopefully, don't ever lose both engines. So I'm always, you know, scoping out what's around me, of course. So there's some differences but similarities there. Um, <clears throat> uh, beyond that, you know, aircraft is an aircraft. So, you know, as long as you approach it with respect and, 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 um, and understanding that this is a piece of equipment, whether you're flying it as a 121 pilot or as a uh, civil aviation, you know, a, a GA pilot, um, I, I think, you know, as long as you pr- approach it with some level of professionalism, and Dr. Seth can probably answer this because, you know, she does a lot more GA flying than I do nowadays. Uh, I always approach my my uh, GA flying that way. And one of the, the most important things uh, in, in that it still applies this to this day that my uh, second flight instructor taught me is smoothness counts. So that's a huge thing for ATPs. We want to be flying uh, our passengers around uh, in a smooth fashion, being considerate of, you know, how you put out your spoilers, how you put out the flaps, how you taxi the aircraft. Uh, you know, Jeff Jeff's big, biggest pet peeve when he's taxiing an airplane, chattering brakes on the 88. So, you know, it, 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 you know, you can get in the airplane and, and not care and just hit the brakes and let the thing chatter away, or you can work to, to do things smoothly. So those are some of the things. And, you know, one of the things that uh, professional airline pilots can take from GA pilots, uh, you know, again, I mentioned the safety aspect of it and being smooth, but the, the other thing that I think that uh, professional pilots have kind of lost their way on uh, is knowing how to enjoy what we really do. There's a lot of us out there that do, like Jeff and myself and Nick, and that that really enjoy it. But some of these, some people just go through the motions uh, and forget about why we all decide to learn how to fly, and that's because we enjoy what we do. And as I was talking about earlier in in, in the show, I mean, I've you know it's only been what two, maybe two and a half weeks now since I've been in an aircraft, and I'm. I'm jonesing. I mean, it's almost almost like I'm having a withdrawal. You know, if I was taking, uh, not that I, have, I don't do drugs, but if if I was having a withdrawal from drugs, right? I, I really want to get out there and fly. Where Jeff is in a, in a situation where he is uh, a lot more senior and has the ability to go out and fly, so he's not missing it like like I am. But I can assure you that he will uh, come June. So. Um, those are just some of the points I thought about uh, as I uh, thought of your question. And, um, you know, as far as your, your point on, on overspeeding and a concern about stalling, honestly, I, I can't say it, me professionally. I know, Jeff, maybe Nick, you can chime in on this. I, I've, I'm not concerned about stalling the airplane. And as a GA pilot, I was never really worried about overspeeding the airplane. It's actually quite the opposite, I thought, is that as a general aviation pilot i never wanted to stall the airplane because i was afraid of what was going to happen and, and especially loss of control in in you know like in a cessna 
if you stall an airplane, a Cessna, it's far more likely to enter into a stall, all right, than an, an air transport aircraft. So I'm kind of actually the opposite thought process. Um, There's a couple of GA aircraft where um, you can easily overspeed flaps and, and things like that if you're not paying attention. So sure. um, you do want to watch out for that or it's not uh, as applicable in some aircraft as it is in others, but um, maybe perhaps that's what they're they're worrying about a little bit. But yeah, you know, what's, what's going to kill you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to be the <laughs> overspeeding the flight. Well, you know, I think in, now that you mentioned Dr. Steph, I, I, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about earlier is that, you know, when it's talking about overspeeding, you know, we're taught so precisely to fly the pattern at certain speeds and altitudes. Yeah. Right. So you, you base the final, you're at 80, 85 knots, you know, one notch of flaps. You know, once you start your down, you know, once you're in downwind, down in descent, one notch of flaps, no more than 100 and I think it's 103 knots on the warrior, somewhere around there. And then, you know, 80 knots, you're in second notch yeah. flaps. And then finally, you you know, 70, 75 uh, knots over the top of the fence, with, you know, final notch of flaps. And uh, so I can see where he's coming from on that one. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I agree with what you said there. Which one are you more afraid of in, in those cases? And yeah, the one with the the inconsequence where you are no longer flying that that wing. Yeah, I think you just have to look at the statistics of the pilots who have ripped their wings off because they've been overspeeding, or the pilots who have stalled and spun into Correct. the ground. Yeah, yeah. And I think you'll probably find that the biggest the danger issue. is yeah. getting slow, not fast. Number yeah. one, I think, for sure, getting slow in the traffic pattern, right? Yeah, yeah. we just, we just talked about it in the last uh, yeah. last episode with the uh, single engine Pilatus, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of did both there, didn't he? Mm. Well, no, he didn't overspeed the airplane. He definitely saw the airplane, definitely, which yeah. resulted him into the ground. So, so I hope that answers your question, Sean. You guys, you want to chime in on anything? Yeah. No, Covered I think you well. answered that. Right, good job. Very good. All right. Thanks, Dana. Um, and thank you, Sean, for sending that question in. Another Sean, I think is a different one. Um, haven't checked, but anyway, this one from Sean. With many airlines now requiring both passengers and... Oh, it's the same, Sean. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> With many airlines now requiring both passengers and crew wear face masks, what about hypoxia? I know my... Is that partial pressure of oxygen drops? What is SpO2? Yeah. Okay. Or it's your it's your saturation saturation of oxygen. of oxygen. Okay, drops well into the lower nineties and occasionally upper eighties on long hauls, and that's without a mask forcing me to rebreathe my own CO two. The only article I found about hypoxia and passengers was this one, and then he gives us a link to an FAA. Um, I guess uh, what would you call this a uh, research? Oh, it's just paper. a document. Yeah, uh, uh, advisory. Well, it's it's. Um, the FAA has it here, but it's really from airliner cabin environment research program okay. with the Harvard school of public health oh. in uh, conjunction with the FAA office of aerospace medicine. I like to call them ACER myself. Ah, uh, do you? Yeah. The health effects Very of trendy. aircraft cabin pressure and older and vulnerable passengers. And, uh, so there, uh, he gave us a nice link to that and we'll have that in the show notes. If you want to read this, um, paper, uh, so 
Yeah, I, I see where he's coming from. So like in this day, in these days of uh, wearing these masks now, I think most airlines are requiring passengers or will soon to wear yeah, I think within the next week. face masks in the cabins. And, you know, so has anybody thought about the fact that it's, you know, restricting, at least restricting your intake of, of cabin air, which means restricting your intake of oxygen as a partial component of the cabin air. Is that, and I don't know the, the part about the forcing me to breathe my own CO2. I'm, I guess that's a factor. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Um, well, it's just going to decrease the partial pressure of the right oxygen. even more. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, and and I and I read this as well. And um, ironically, yesterday I went to my cardiologist, and I was wearing an N95 mask, which you know is the you know heavy duty, uh, can't get any part, barely get any particles through it, let alone breathe through it, and. You would never believe it, but my my uh, oxygen, uh, Steph was taking hers earlier, but my oxygen level in my blood was down to 96, and that's just sitting in, in a doctor's office. And it actually, I believe, it led to a false diagnosis, which required me to have a uh, uh, a quickly done um, um, echo, e- oh. echo on my heart because, uh, you know, I think it, it – was what it was doing is, is restricting the amount of air I was getting into my lungs. And I was actually starting to feel a little lightheaded, mm. but I would not, I would not uh, take the mask off for obvious reasons. And, you know, I was wearing it for a long time. So I think what was happening is I had some CO2 buildup and that was just yesterday. And I'm sitting at a thousand foot elevation here in Atlanta. Wow. Everyone's got their pulse oximeter on here. <laughs> my, my, my mouse, oh, your mouse. <laughs> I don't. I don't have you a don't pulse oximeter. No, mine is currently currently reading between ninety eight and ninety nine. Just sitting here chatting with you all. Now, why don't you um, put a mask on? Yeah, you know, mine are all in my car actually oh, go because get it. I want to make no, sure that kidding. I have it for when I'm out and about. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, I did read through the um, attached document here as well, and it brings up some valid points. Um, kind of the the gist of it is who is more at risk for having an even lower um, oxygen saturation while you're flying. So um, as we get older, just naturally, um, you can have a resulted decrease in your oxygen saturation. So it said uh, one study showed um, uh, a 4% mean drop in oxygen saturation for most individuals at cabin altitude. So not taking into account anything else. So just Random sample of the population, healthy people in general, uh, not elderly folks, 4% mean drop in oxygen saturation uh, at cabin altitude. Um, Nearly half of the older passengers, and they didn't define older, um, but were able to have... uh, They're talking about I'm talking about you. (laughs) Anybody older than 62, Uh, I would imagine. Saturation, uh, 90% or below. And you no, know, they didn't they, say really old. They just said <laughs> older, older. Um, Sorry, generally, Jeff. you can you can consider um, a one percent decrease in oxygen saturation for every decade of life above fifty at cabin pressures of seven thousand feet or higher. So every decade that you are above fifty, whatever your um, baseline saturation was at cabin altitude. So say you're normally ninety nine percent, take that down to. 95% just with that 4% mean drop in oxygen saturation. Now, if you add another decade of life above 50, that's 94, then 93, then 92. Um, certainly folks who have other medical problems um, or, or flight altitudes might place additional stress on their physiologic system. Um, 
it can it can certainly drop it even more. And especially if you're not used to being at altitude. You know, we don't think of 7,000 or 8,000 feet as being particularly high, but if you're not used to those altitudes and you have an underlying condition and you're susceptible anyway, um, it could make a difference. I don't know how wearing a mask actually affects all of that in terms of absolute numbers of drop in oxygen saturation. The big question for me, Steph, is that uh, if you're putting a paper bag in your face or a plastic (laughs) bag over your head and you're rebreathing a big volume of your breath. Your own air, yep. You're going to get uh, a lot of CO2. But a mask mm. is, if it's up fairly tight against your mouth, there's a tiny volume there that you're going to rebreathe. I mean, a tiny volume. So mm-hmm. where is all this it depends on the, oxygen coming from? It With the masks, you mean? Yeah. Or just in general? Well, that's what I don't know. You know, I I don't know what that actually looks like. And I think it depends on what you're using as a mask. So um, not everyone is usually using a commercial, commercially available mask. Not everyone's using a a 95, which is filtering out those, you know, really, really everything but the tiniest of particles. Uh, Most people are wearing homemade things these days. So some, you know, tightly woven fabric of some sort. And that varies in how tightly woven it actually is, um, how many layers you've put on it, whether you have one of those masks that you can insert an, an additional filter into if you're concerned about that, how tightly you're wearing it around your face. I see plenty of people just wearing their masks over their mouth and not covering their nose, which isn't really helpful for anything, but they aren't going to have any drop in their saturation saturation because they can breathe just fine, assuming that they don't have any nasal passage blockages. <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing a, a fishnet um, thing. Is that okay? Is that what? You pull Especially that over you your sneeze. whole head. You pull it, pull it down. All, yeah, I have no no restriction whatsoever. I, you I'll are a worry, uh, Jeffrey. <laughs> you are a worry. Well, I'll um, tell you I, what. Maybe I, so. I've got my own pulse oximeter. Uh, the oh, she's going to do an experiment. Around, I will do a n of one sample of one experiment as a healthy, uh, not older person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, rub it in. <laughs> yeah, I, rub I didn't think. Uh, yeah, older as defined by who the, made her uh, age, uh, <laughs> yeah. but just you know out of curiosity's sake uh, you know i'll put the mask on i'll, I'll try a couple different masks because i've got a couple different ones made of different materials um got i've got, I've got access to regular surgical masks a, i actually do not have a n95 oh do what <laughs> no no, no forget See, that ignore you Take a mask. And that was the problem yesterday. Like the N95 mask actually has a bigger volume with a lot less air flowing through, right? So it's you're actually rebreathing more carbon monoxide than you would with those, you know, surgical masks you see that you know that little flap, right? Um, So can can I just say one thing? Mask generally protects other people. Correct. It doesn't protect you you because you're still getting a lot of airflow in. Exactly. Uh, The the exception is going to be the N95. The best reason for wearing a mask is to protect your fellow man. Or woman. Or Um, woman. Fellow person. Fellow armadillo. Sure, go ahead. Doesn't uh, carbon monoxide over time, or ca- yeah, carbon di- dioxide, not monoxide. I'm sorry, that would be a bad, a very bad day. Yeah. Uh, carbon, You're carbon, carbon dioxide, monoxide. Doesn't it build up in your system if you, you know, even if you inhale it in small amounts? It doesn't, because in, in, this is what we're talking talking about. In, you know, we talk about in scuba diving is buildup of gases in your system, right? So, I'm not sure if carbon 
So dioxide can not the same. So carbon monoxide has a very high affinity um, in your bloodstream as compared with even (laughs) oxygen. What is so funny? (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to have a serious conversation here. You two are baddie. I I apologize. I know why Nick's baddie because he hasn't had anything to drink in two weeks. So he had to finish a whole bottle of wine. He's he's drunk over there. Um, it's it's a uh, uh, what is it called? Carbon, Anemic carbon. hypoxia or um, hype hypoxemia. It's something hypoxia. hypoxia. Hy- yeah. What are the types of? I'm going hypoxia? away now. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Just, thanks. <laughs> Bye. Um, let's start over. So carbon monoxide. The reason why this is such an issue. So say you're in a, a home with a carbon monoxide problem. You don't have a detector. Um, it's very difficult to notice those symptoms, and it can build up quite quickly because carbon monoxide has a much higher affinity within your bloodstream to attach to those um, uh, to the hemoglobin. I'm going to be so distracted by whatever <laughs> Nick is doing than the than the oxygen molecules do. And and very quickly um, dangerous and, and lethal. Carbon dioxide, you know, you're producing that as a, as a byproduct of metabolism and respiration. Um, people who develop hypercapnia, which is too much carbon dioxide in the, the bloodstream, um, usually comes if you're hypoventilating. So if you're if you're not exchanging that quickly enough, or if you have some sort of other disordered breathing condition, um, so I don't know. It, just by wearing a normal mask, I don't think most people are going to have a his, an issue with hypercapnia. It's interesting. The average I, person. That's that's what I had yesterday, and was, I, I really think it was because of the N95 mask that you know it has a bigger volume, and it it would it did actually drop my yeah. my uh, you know, well, my like, and you can still, I mean. That may not necessarily be because you have too much carbon or uh, carbon dioxide in your system as opposed to just low oxygen saturation. Yeah, low low yeah. oxygen. Yeah, okay. Makes sense. I've been doing fine. Uh, the flight this morning was great. Um, when my first officer shook me to wake me up uh, when we were on descent into Atlanta. I think oh, my, he was nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'd reach up. I would reach up and hit the stall warning test. We had a captain who was disabled. Disabled? We had a captain who was incapacitated on the flight deck. He uh, decided to have a bit of the uh, in-flight nap. Not something you guys do, but a long-haul bloke do it a lot. And uh, he took a uh, you know the the captain's jacket, the cold weather jacket from the cupboard and put it over his head to block out the sun. And then uh, after a while, he breathed so much of his own carbon dioxide that he had a bit of a turn. Very nasty. Oh, uh, no. He was not at all well. Hmm. So it's just something to be aware of. Be aware of your situation and surroundings. Yes. Great discussion. Uh, thank you, Sean, for posing the question to our Hypoxia experts, Dr. <laughs> Steph and Dr. Dana. Yes. yes, we've got lots of those. Hey, I know we're over the three-hour mark, so leave us alone. We're going to continue one more. Three-hour tour. Ah, poor this Liz. Is, no, this is a good one. we got to do this one. Okay. Right, Liz? Yeah. Thumbs up. All right. This is from Mike. <laughs> says... How goes it, APG crew? My name is Michael S. 
Yeah, I don't blame him for using his last name. A longtime aviation enthusiast that started my aviation career as a UH-60 crew chief in the U.S. Army about 15 years ago. I eventually moved into teaching non-rated crew members how to backseat drive for the two cyclic stick actuators up front. I've been listening to you guys intermittently since about July 18th when a coworker of mine introduced me to the show on a ride into work with a warning that, quote, it's about to get really nerd in the car. Nerd alert! I'm currently working as an expat instructor for a major Gulf Cooperation Council country. I guess that would be an MGCCC. That requires military advisors to field a recent purchase of aircraft that I'm familiar with. So I had quite a few car rides to share and listen to your show. I've since picked up the habit and listening has been good for maintaining the sanity required for dealing with the COVID-19 effect on the industry. Anyways, I look forward to many more episodes of Nerd. Nerd! And... Even a few more feedback submitted by yours truly. I do have a little bit of a suggestion, though. I'm sure there is a story to be given the literary magic that Captain Nick always does in regards to Jean Boulet and his record-setting auto-rotation. A chopper whopper, if you will. (laughs) Thanks again for, for the great show you all do, Mike. Hey, you know what? I just realized this. He actually was able to send us in feedback with two references to candy. Mm-hmm. Nerds. Whoppers. And Whoppers. Huh. Wow. Mm. I love it. Or even a hamburger. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it doesn't go with the candy thing. Um, But I loved, I, I just want to do this because I love the thing is when his, his friend said, it's about to get really nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And we take that as a, a badge of something Honor. good. <laughs> what? Honor. Honor. Yes, that's it. That's good. Honor is good. A badge of honor. That's exactly the word I was I think that's for. the name of the show right there. A badge of honor. No. Not I, no, I think the, the name of the show is It's nerd. About to Get Really Nerd. It's about to get really nerd. Uh, yeah, I can just imagine how easy that's going to be to make. Yeah, but I gave book. you a look at that graphic I gave you in the um, in the uh, feedback. The box uh, of candy. You think I was looking. Uh, no. Um, I'm just going to say that uh, Jean Boulard. Uh, no, not even close. Jean Boulet. Jean Boulet. Yeah. All right. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, uh, I'm not finding an awful lot about him, so I'm a bit worried. <laughs> no, oh, okay. May not be a plain tale. Well, maybe he can. Maybe a crew log then. Or maybe yeah. he could write in and send send in more information about Jean Boulet. Well, uh, yeah, then he can start his own podcast. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, yeah, I'll take certainly take a look. Uh-huh. And yes, it may indeed be a a little bit extra. Uh, He was one of the first foreign pilots to fly a helicopter in the United States Air Force. Oh. Hmm. Went all downhill from there. Apparently, yeah. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Literally. All right. Well, with that, guess what? It is now time for us to end today's episode. I know, I know you're all crying. You're all sad. 
some of you are actually applauding. They're and, crying in pain, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Their ears are hurting. Crying tears of joy that it's over. Tears of joy. Yeah, that's probably more more likely. Anyway, um, so if you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, if you want to learn more about the show, uh, you can head over to the Airline Pilot Guy website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you'll find information. You know, I even have a little thing here I can show on the uh, video of our website. Here we go. It'll help me, too. Uh, you can go there, Airline Pilot Guy Show. Uh, let's see. You can learn about the crew and the community, and there's a Plain Tales page. The APG Library, if you're looking for a good aviation-related book to read, our uh, librarian Tiffany manages that. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, coffee Fund information, APG merch, the store, and um, ways to contact us, uh, whether via snail mail or audio feedback or whatever. And also the APG community calendar is there. So if you want to find out what is going on with us, if we if we know, we'll try to put it on the calendar. And of course, our podcasts are there as well as a way for you to watch us on YouTube. And our <laughs> something kind of funny stuff. <laughs> something I'm that sorry, I was you did there. I just finally <laughs> caught up on the, the conversation that was going on. Yeah, I can see all kinds of stuff going on in, in our inner Sorry, communications. I should not have I should not have looked at that. I do apologize. Um so what was I saying? I was saying uh something that was not really inf- uh, interesting. <laughs> Don't remember what I was saying. So really interrupted by uh, my let's see. Laughter. Oh yeah. So uh we do this show. We use um YouTube Live and Facebook Live streaming platforms if you want to kind of see all the nonsense that goes on behind the scenes when we record the show uh, check that out Um, youtube is probably the better uh, place to go Uh, and we have a link to that on our website as well and we're also on the social media or what i like to call social meds social meds head over to twitter.com we are at apg crew and you can find all of our individual twitter information pinned to the top of that page although it occurs to me just now that liz's information is not there i don't think perhaps we should add it yeah we do Mm -hmm. we do need to do that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh anyway it's a good way to um find out about when we are going to be recording the show live so you can join in the madness that is the live recording and the great folks who join us each week in the chat room you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guy a great way to interact with the community there you can also find those notifications about the live recordings um and lots of folks just sharing aviation information uh, occasionally on uh, Instagram at APG Crew, I sometimes retweet uh, or re retweet. That's the wrong wrong platform. Regram. Uh, share, regram. No, <laughs> I don't think that's right either. Uh, share Nick's artwork in advance of the show coming out for a little uh, teaser of of what's to come, and um, post some of my own aviation pics there. Um, I'll post put pictures from other folks if they care to share them with me. Jeff, Nick, Dana, Liz, yes, etc. Um, and beyond that, you can head over to Slack for even more in-depth information about the community. Slack. Okay. Hang on. Hello. Not sure he's here today. Hello. I don't think he hears me. Hang on. Hello. What are you doing? Yeah. Hey, it's time for time for the Slack thing. All right, here he comes. 
Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you very much, my very wet friend. And uh, please what? continue. Well, you know, from the shower. He's from wet. the shower. Gotcha. Yeah, he hasn't dried off. So uh, make sure you wash your hands. Sounds to me like at least 20 seconds. The ring's pretty much wet. <laughs> okay. Um, hmm. I was going to play something else while I played that. And there you go. I don't want <laughs> He's shampooing. Shampoo. He's shampooing in the sink. Apparently, I don't know what he's doing in there. I thought he said shampoo in his eyes. Shampoo. Oh, shampoo. Oh, oh, I'm screen sharing. Oops, I'm so sorry, Liz. Um, it's all right. It was, just, it was good information. Everyone just wanted to see our faces again, though. Apparently, oh, okay. There were a lot of requests yeah. from the chat room to stop sharing the screen. Well, feel free to to do whatever you need to do to make it right. <laughs> so. Anywho, um, with that, um, oh, a big thank you to you know, what, what will we do without Liz telling me that I need to do something with this. Oh, marvelous. Job, <laughs> thank Liz. you, Liz Piper. Hey. We are in the control room in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So thank you very much. And with that, I guess it's time now for us to say wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Not everybody. Take care of yourself and the ones you love. Bye bye. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Oh, airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly 